Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast with your host, hailing from Kakana, Wisconsin, riding a CST Tires SSI decals traveling back Yamaha YFC 450R, four-time ATV Motocross National Champion, number 25. Cody Jensen. What's up, everybody? We're back. And arguably with our most highly anticipated episode to date. In all honesty, I still can't believe we pulled this one off. I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Thank you for being here with us. And this is episode 73 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires, available for purchase and in stock today at shop.csttires.com. Nearly a decade ago, on the heels of a prolific season that featured 18 Pro-Am overall victories, 37 moto wins, and two national championships, Cody Gibson disappeared from ATV racing never to return. Earlier this week, I likened Cody Gibson's story to this. Imagine if James Stewart disappeared from professional motocross prior to graduating to the premier class. So take yourself back to 2003 or 2004 when, even though he was just a teenager on a 125, you just knew that he was the guy that could most give Ricky Carmichael a run for his money before we ever even saw it. Now, imagine Stewart retiring before any of those imminent battles that were on the horizon ever took place. This is the Cody Gibson story. In his three full seasons as a Pro-Am rider, Cody Gibson won 36 overalls on his way to five ATV Motocross National Championships. He's an absolute legend, but he's never publicly discussed his ATV racing career or his abrupt departure until now. Get ready for the story of Cody Gibson's spectacular career in its entirety for the very first time right here on the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. But first, let's quickly shout out all of our incredible partners. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, thanks to Valvoline, SSI Decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymar Financial Group, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Integrative Financial Concepts and their Safe to Race and Safe to Ride Insurance Programs, Bink Forever ATC Museum, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, welcome back, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Their clippers rock, their nose hair trimmer is amazing, and the new Lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer is a game changer. Outside the industry sponsors are hard to come by, so let's support Manscaped and make sure that they stay involved with ATV Motocross and stay involved with Digging Deep long into the future. I suggest the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, which includes the new lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer that i rant and rave about every week for helping me keep a perfect beard the best nose hair trimmer ever created and an array of goodies including deodorant boxer briefs a travel bag and more so check out manscaped i wish i would have sooner and get 20 percent off with free shipping by using code diggingdeep20 at manscaped.com and if you dm us a screenshot of your order from manscaped using our discount code we'll send you a digging deep shirt or hat as well 
Again, that's code DIGGINGDEEP20 for 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Support all these great companies that support us, and for any products that fall through the cracks, click that Rocky Mountain 8-to-BMC banner on our website to help us out. As we start to shift our focus to the 2022 season, we both know you need parts and gear. No matter what off-road gear parts you need, Rocky Mountain 8-to-BMC has you covered. But before you buy, simply click that Rocky Mountain 8-to-BMC banner on our website. By using our specific link, we get a percentage of what you buy on the back end, so if you want to help us out, this is about as easy and convenient a way to do so as there is. So click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner at diggingdeepatvmx.com to help us out while satisfying all your gear and parts needs this offseason. We can't thank you enough for that. That Rocky Mountain ATVMC link is on the right side of our homepage at diggingdeepatvmx.com. And right underneath that, you'll find our new Amazon widget. So same concept. Before you buy from Amazon, simply go to our website, click the Amazon logo right underneath Rocky Mountain, purchase whatever your heart desires, and we'll get a percentage of what you buy on the back end. We all shop from Amazon, so use our Amazon link to help us out while you buy this new year. One new donor to shout out this week, but it was anonymous. So, anonymous, thank you so much for your gracious donation to support us and helping us bring more episodes like this to our listeners. We appreciate that so much. If you're interested in donating and hearing your name on the show, you can find the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee donation links on our website. And again, from the bottom of our hearts, thanks to all of you who have donated. We appreciate you beyond words. Now, it's showtime. The 30-second board is up, it's sideways, and the gate is down. Time to dig deep with Cody freaking Gibson right here on the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. Let's go. All right, guys, I can confidently say that I'm as excited for this conversation as any that we've done in our two and a half years here at Digging Deep. And this one, you can add to the list of highly anticipated interviews that we've done with legends of ATV racing brought to you by Manscaped and their lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer. Go to manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping by using code diggingdeep20 at manscaped.com. Say hello to a man who the last time we saw him won 18 overalls and 37 pro-am motos in one single season, an absolute legend of the sport, Mr. Cody Gibson. Cody, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the Digging Deep ATBMX podcast. And man, it's so great to have you. Dude, I'm fired up about it. Again, I appreciate you bringing us on and I appreciate Mike getting on here as well. And I'm just excited to get it done. Uh, it's truly an honor, man. And as you hinted at there, also joining us tonight here to help co-host this one. He's becoming a legend here at Digging Deep, a regular here at Digging Deep, brought to you by our friends at Rocky Mountain ATVMC. Click the Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner at diggingdeepatvmx.com for all your gear and parts needs this offseason and to help us out. Welcome back, a guy who knows Cody Gibson quite well, Mr. Mike Walsh. Welcome back, Mikey. Yeah, glad to be here. This is really cool. Uh, first time I've seen Cody in a while. I didn't think it was going to be uh, <laughs> on Zoom, but hey, let's do this. Hey, I joked about before uh, before we hit record on this thing, you know, that that we've been trying to make this thing work for a long time, make this thing happen for a long time. So, you know, up until up until everybody was on the screen in front of me. I didn't know if it would happen. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to believe it until it was actually happening, but I'm so stoked for this conversation that we're about to have. And Cody, part of the reason why I think fans are so eager to hear from you, myself included, is because after 2012, after that season, 
it was basically like, poof, you were gone. And the ATV motocross community has never really heard from you since. And you said, uh, again, before we started recording this thing that you hadn't talked about ATV, you know, ATV racing in a long time. So, uh, I'm absolutely stoked to hear, you know, your story here tonight on the show. And, uh, man, it's just, it's just so awesome to hear Cody Gibson, to hear your name again. And I can't wait to hear the stories right here on the digging deep ATV MX podcast. I'm, I'm just as fired up as you are. No, man, it's uh, again, I'm super excited as well. It just uh, like, it's, it's tough for me. Like it always has been to talk about myself. Like it definitely makes me feel good, you know, like throughout the years, you know, ever since I've left the sport, Mm -hmm. it's good to see people, you know, still asking. And like when I, somebody shares a post, you know, it gets a bunch of likes, you know, it's, it's awesome. Like it's a cool deal, but sometimes like in my head, like I discredit that a little bit. Like I think, I mean, I will talk about it in the end, but I feel like the way that I left, as far as wanting to be remembered by something, there was no better way to go out. Like, sure, sure. I felt like we made a, a killer exit of the sport. <laughs> that was a, that was a drop the mic moment for you guys, for sure. Uh, so let's talk about the story from the very beginning. So we all kind of have our first memory involving ATVs. What is yours? Um, as far as what now, like how we got into all the, the sport itself or. Well, even as a, even as a kid, maybe like when was your first experience with quads? Well, like that's, it's been my whole life. Like my dad, like growing up, you know, we didn't, my mom and dad, they were awesome. Like, you know, they've been behind me the whole time, but it was always sports and, you know, I played football, baseball, basketball, anything competitive, like. I was always kind of in it and done well at pretty much everything that I did. Okay. You know, that aspect of it. But like, we didn't have a ton of stuff like up until I guess I was 10, 11, 12, year old, 12 years old. My dad, he started a construction business. Okay. But before that, just basically from the time I was three, four years old, like I always had like a Kawasaki Mojave. My mom always had like a blaster. And my dad always had like 250Rs and Banshees. You know, they were all junk. But, Mm -hmm. you know, from the time that I was strong enough to pull in a clutch, my mom and dad, like, they've always treated me like I was 30 years old from the time that I was four. So, you know, if I could pull in a clutch, I was riding a Banshee. You know, like, my dad always thought it was a cool deal. But I guess from there, like, around 2012 is when we, I guess we realized that I was kind of going to be good at riding. My must dad, be, like I said, he started. Go ahead. You must be in 2002, right? 2002. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I'm getting old. Like, it's <laughs> it a long time ago. But yeah, 2002. That's what it was. Like, we got an 02 400EX. Like, I'd never had a sport four-wheeler of my own. So we bought a brand new 400EX. And I guess I rode that thing, like, never on the track. Like, you know, my dad would build me a jump. And, you know, like, it just jumped <laughs> to flat ground. And right. I would do thousand times a day but we we did rock crawling my dad's hardcore redneck you know we're from up here like in the hills of tennessee so (laughs) it was it was always our thing like we took these sport boilers my dad at this time he had big rock crawlers so basically anywhere that rock crawler would go like there was a 72 pound cody that was four foot nothing like i would always just follow him around and you know that's kind of how i learned how to ride okay I guess I rode that thing all the way until the YFZ 450 come out. I don't know what year it was, like 04? Yeah, 03 or 04, yeah. 
Yeah. And we had no plan on buying one, but we actually went to Florida. Like my dad at this time had a warrior and my mom had some other four wheeler. I can't remember what it was, but we went to Florida to ride, I think at Croom. And so like we were down there at Croom riding or whatever, we leave, go to this steakhouse. Well, we go in there and again, all I did, you know, like from the time I got out of school every weekend, I rode this four wheeler. So it was my baby. Like, like it, I thought about it more than I did anything. Okay. Well, we go in the steakhouse and we come back out, all the four wheelers are gone, you know, so everything gets stolen. And so, you know, obviously I was super sad. My dad was making pretty good money. My mom and dad, I say, mm-hmm. but they were doing real well. So the only thing my dad knew to say, he said, you can go on the internet and pick out any four wheeler you want and I'll buy it for you as soon as we get home, you know? So, that, you know, it was a super sad situation, but at the same time, I think other than the Mike Walsh, it was, it was what made me who I was because we go back home and the YFZ 450 had just came out. Okay. So I told my dad, I was like, this is what I want. You know, and we go to look at it. We actually went to one Yamaha place and it was like, no, you're not buying this. My dad, if you knew my dad, he, he gets super fired up. He used to have a bad temper. Well, he pretty much told the dude what he thought. We left there, went to the next place, and bought a YFZ 450. And going from a 400DX to YFZ 450 was a game changer. You know? Oh, yeah, of course it was. No comparison. Like, at the time, he had bought another Banshee, and he thought, like, my dad was super competitive, too. Never raced, but he was the redneck that had the fastest four-wheeler. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, like, I'm not kidding. We go home and drag race these things on the highway. You know, like, <laughs> and like again, when I was, which Mike remembers, he remembers when I was like 16. I was literally, when I got my license, I was four foot 11. So at this time, I was literally four foot tall. So, like, we go out there and I mean, I smoke him on this thing. Like, you know, he's got this banshee all chromed out and he's so sad. <laughs> my point forward like dude we would go like wind rock and stuff and you know like it's so redneck but i'm talking anybody that passed like it's like dude you want to race so like, everybody, <laughs> like these things up, and i was smoking everybody <laughs> i think that was kind of the turning point where i realized like i liked racing <laughs> I raced that thing on the track or anything but right I, like we started hill climbing i made a bunch of friends doing that and what's crazy is we actually like i i made friends with a dude that owned a suzuki shop and it was actually the same guy that even when i met mike that's where we were still that's where we bought the suzuki's but he okay somehow managed to talk me into trading that live z in on a z400 no. and i again i did no kind of racing but they covered all parts and labor so oh, all wow. I had to do ride his this suzuki in the woods and wreck it and they would fix it just for for no reason really and that's kind of where it all started and like, you weren't you weren't even racing at that point no i didn't race anything the guy's name was charlie stewart he owned extreme power sports he actually since then like probably five years ago he, he had a motorcycle wreck and died like it's a super bad deal but oh, wow. he was a good dude like and that's kind of i guess if i'm gonna work my way into racing i ended up trying to jump the highway on that z400 like down in my hometown i don't know if you've ever heard this story but it's the only time i've ever really been hurt i mean i broke a bunch of bones but i tried to jump the highway like you know z400 
14 years old, fifth year tap. And so I wipe out and it like breaks my lower back, my pelvis, my sacrum, and I had a bunch of internal bleeding and stuff. So I was in the hospital forever. Like, oh my three, gosh, three weeks to a month, had to get homeschooled. And while I was in the hospital, is when we decided that if I was going to be jumping stuff, like it needed to be somewhere where it needed to be jumped and not, you know, not at my buddy's house jumping the highway. Like, and that's how we kind of worked into racing local races. So that was the most Tennessee thing that I've ever heard. Dude, I'm telling you, it's insane, but it's the truth. Like all that happened <laughs> in like two years and it was awesome. Like and it, so, it was cool that it worked into what it worked into. Yeah. Well, you know, tragedy strikes and you get the quad stolen and that's how you kind of get on this path. And then another tragedy strikes by you getting hurt and <laughs> go figure that's what starts this whole thing. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a cool deal. So then, um, so then I guess, take me from when you're in the hospital and you guys decide that you're going to take this thing to the next level and, and, uh, you know, ride something that's capable of, you know, what you're trying to do with it. So what happens from there to get you to racing local races and and kind of finding your footing? Uh, We bought wheel spacers for that Z400. That's when we got serious. Beast. And then I literally that's how it happened. I can't remember if it would have been spindles or what it would, but like I signed up for the beginner class. We had a local track called I 40. I actually jumped Mike's hybrid when I first started racing, like back in 2012. I jumped his hybrid into the creek at I 40, but that's where I started racing. Okay. so, like, I, I just started racing beginner class. You know, you weren't allowed to do the doubles. Like, so all my hill climbing buddies, you know, once I decided I was going to race, they pretty much all signed up with me. So it was just a big friend environment. And then, I don't know, I raced the beginner class for, I'd say, five or six races, and I got tired of smashing into the backside of the doubles. So we just kind of moved up from there. We signed up amateur class where I could start jumping. And Okay. That's where it kind of just moved on. So at that point, are you um, like, are you a fan of, of ATV motocross to where like, you know, like the pros at that time and like your, your fans of those guys, like, tell me about that. Yeah, I think, I think pretty much when I got in the hospital, like that, like, you know, we got a bunch of dirt wheels magazines and stuff. And that's where like Jeremiah Jones was always the man, you know, in my head, like, Okay. He was definitely the baddest dude, you know, in racing. And mm-hmm. it was, I guess that was my biggest, as far as I wanted to be like him as when I very first got into racing. Cause I think they were still on Z 400s at that time. Sure. Yeah. That would, that time period would make sense. And uh, it's funny because I I feel like you go on to be a very Jeremiah Jones, like rider, you know, your riding style and you're loose and uh, just on the gas. So that all makes sense uh, that you emulated him as you went. Uh, So at what point did you realize like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at this shit. Like, when did that happen? Um, I don't know. I mean, at a local level, you know, like it, it's tough, like, cause we knew we couldn't race nationals. We actually somehow, I can't remember what year it was. And I don't know if I even raced a national or if it was just like that muddy Creek has like a series. Local, they yeah. do. Yep. And I think back in the day I went, like I had just raced at I-40. I hadn't raced anywhere else. And I got to the point where, 
you know, at some point, you know, obviously I could win there. So right. we went up to Muddy Creek and I think I won one of those races when I was like 15. And then I realized like, I thought that I might be able to do good at the nationals. So mm-hmm. once I turned 16, you know, that's when we started trying to run those things. Okay. And I remember that too, even for me, like when, uh, when you travel to another track for the first time, it's like a huge deal, you know? Oh dude, it was insane going to Muddy Creek. Cause I-40 <laughs> was like a third gear track and then you get to Muddy Creek and you feel like you're going so fast. Like, so it, was, it was definitely a cool deal. So, uh, did you, so before getting with Mike, did you race some nationals on your own before that? Oh yeah. Like the, like the, one of the things you sent me, like the, Oh, I think I turned 16 in 06. So I think we went to like maybe Unadilla and raced. Okay. A class. And then 07, that was the year that I raced. Like, I don't think I raced all of them, but I raced a majority of the nationals in a class on an LTR. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. On Mike's episodes, he told us, you know, the story of you and your dad walking into Walsh racecraft for the first time and, you know, Mike going to watch you ride. And then you guys ultimately asking what it would take to ride for Walsh. Uh, so what do you remember about that day? Cause I have to believe that would have been, you know, in kind of, you know, that year, that time frame, whether 06 or 07. So tell me what you remember about that day. Yeah, that day, like we, it was kind of unplanned. Like we didn't, you know, obviously we didn't go to Florida to train. Like, okay, yeah. We just kind of got up. I can't, I can't remember the exact date or even when that was, but I remember being down there. But whatever time it was, my dad, like we just got up one morning. He was like, You want to go to Florida and ride? You know, I was like, Yeah, that'd be awesome. So we go down and I can't remember where all we rode, but was that track called Amp Mike? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we went to Amp and you were riding that uh that YFZ. Yeah, that was that's Amp what I Suzuki, so. yeah, that's what I was gonna get at. Like we actually went there and we were we were riding and I broke both Suzuki's and I think that's the whole reason we originally went to Mike. Like we went over there and like obviously I'd heard of Walsh Racecraft, but I didn't know Mike. You know, I'd never met anybody, you know, like right. yep. anybody famous in the ATV world, and I was like dude, this is cool. And then I meet Mike and Nate and his mom and everybody. And like, I was like, these are some cool people. You know, we sit there and talk to Mike for a while and it just worked out. Like he got to come over and again, like the two Suzuki's were broke. I'd never rode the Yamaha and Mike comes over and it was just, it, it was a cool experience. If I'm not mistaken, Jeremy Lawson was there that day. So it, it was cool being on the track, you know, just. And that, like, and that had that, that, that YMZ had uh, cross country tires on it. Oh, dude, I can't yeah. do it, dude. Right up the Mile Alley. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say he's he's from Tennessee. He's been in the backwoods rock climbing his whole life. He uh, he doesn't dude. care. He's just gonna run it. Yeah, dude, and that, and then really like you know like my Suzuki's for that 07 season, and we'll get into this, but like this was one of like Mike talked about his our head button, but it was. That was a big part of it. Like the whole 07 season, like I, you know, that's the first time I had ever bought aftermarket suspension. Like, but it, it was completely stock hard parts. Like, so A arms are stock, swing arm stock, and it had like an Elko back shock and Fox front shocks. But that whole year, like I did really good for what I had. And like, I don't remember anything about the 07 season other than, you know, like I pulled a few shots, starts in A class or, 
like I've won some races, but I remember going to Sunset Ridge and my mom and dad are the complete opposite. Like, you know, they could, they would prefer it if I would have been in the back of the pack, but <laughs> I wanted to sign up pro-am. I was like, I, I think I can beat some of those guys. Like, you know, I might as well sign up. And again, at this time I am tiny, like little bitty guy, but I remember lining up right beside him. Me and Clay are friends now. You know, there was yeah. a couple of years there that not a whole lot of people liked us anyway. Like, right. but either way, at this this was part of that time, you know, just because I was reckless and mm-hmm. it was, I was just a little wild when we got out there. But I remember pulling the start on like Greg G, Clay Holmes, <laughs> and, you know, I'm leading those dudes around the track. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, like, you know, I could possibly beat these guys, which obviously they passed me like first mm-hmm. little bit. But it was just a cool thing. You know, like we had just been really in it for in my head a few months. Like and I still didn't ride that often, you know, just because we could only ride at tracks on the weekend and stuff because mm-hmm. we weren't full time training. But that's when I realized I was like, you know, they're faster than me, but at the same time, they're not that much faster than me. Like if we took it a little bit serious, like we could smoke these guys and and from what and from what you're saying, your bikes are like apples to oranges, you know. You're- oh, dude, yeah. But like again, we'll get into that. But that was hard to change. That was hard for Mike <laughs> to change. Like it was insane. But so so Mike, so Mike, did uh, did was there ever a, a time period at early on there where you're like, man, like this kid doesn't doesn't know better than to just pin it everywhere? Like, are we biting off more than we can chew with him? Well, no, I felt the exact opposite. I was like, we got a guy. I mean, and and, and, and honestly, just talking, just seeing Cody again and seeing him talking, and I know a lot of time's gone by, but I am pumped up. Like, <laughs> He's I the same. He's up. the same. He's yeah, the same guy. Like, like I, I didn't forget about Cody, but Cody is the only Cody. Like, mm-hmm. this man is – I don't know. We're speaking to a legit, a legitimate legend here. Like, yes. like this dude is, he's unreal. And I knew, you know, like I said, we went to that track and I, you know, like I said, I, I told the, the, the story of the belt buckle and, and this dude with this long hair and this accent. And it was just, it's like a superhero, you know? And, and we went and I, and Nate had heard, like I, t- like I said before, Nate knew of Cody and I had seen Cody at Loretta's and heard the hype, you know, like there's this kid, there's this little kid on this LTR with, with all stock hard parts and Fox shocks. And he is super fast, you know? So, but no, I felt the exact opposite. Like I felt like with, you know, so like Wayne Henson used to tell the stories of Jeremiah Jones, how they had to try to get him to slow down. I mean, I felt like this, this guy was like going to make some serious waves in the, in the industry. And, who better, you know, what type of better combination to come together? Like here we are, you know, not knowing if we're racing or not racing, but we had credentials. Cody was like this uh, unpolished, you know, diamond. Mm -hmm. And it was like, dude, this is going to be sick. You know, we were pumped as a, as a shop, as a team, as a family, we were really excited to have Cody. I mean, the first, first, first time, he rode. I'm like, this is too easy. Like he's on this YFZ with 20 inch tires. One of them is probably flat for, you know, this is the, you know, handlebars are bent this, that. And he's just, he's scrubbing like John Natale was, you know, and he's 16 years old, 
You know, it was really crazy. It was, it was times you'll never repeat. You know, my dad said a long time ago, you know, you can, you know, you can have a great time and you can try to repeat that time and it'll never happen. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was just one of this, these, this era in my life that is, well, you know, you can't compete with it. It was, it is what it is. It was one of some of the best times of my life. Oh, it's iconic. It's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. It's iconic. And I'm glad that you touched on that because like, I mean, there's people, there's people now, and it's hard to believe that 10 years have went by, but there's people that don't even remember Cody and Cody is a legend. And I have written right here on my paper that there will never be another, like you said, Mike. So um, I'm stoked to be able to talk about this and tell, you know, Cody's story. So right from the beginning, you know, we were just talking about that 2007 season and Cody doesn't remember a ton about it, but uh, that's when I feel like you first kind of showed up on the radar and you won, you were already talking about, you know, you're not on the best equipment or whatever. There's not a ton done to it. You won five overalls and nine motos on your way to a four stroke a title that season. And, and like you said, with five races to go in the season, you're already jumping to pro-am and you did well right away. Your results featured a seventh, a sixth and a fourth. And that was impressive right from the jump, especially like you said, you were racing Clay Holmes, who was the man at that time. Nick DeNoble got second. Um, Greg G was third in the championship that year. And man, like you inserted yourself into that battle right away. No, oh, man, it, it was definitely awesome. And Again, like I'm excited to talk about the 08 season because I, in my head, that was the game changer. Like, it, again, like 2009 is not a big deal to me. I mean, I, I had fun. Me and Mike had the best time. But in my opinion, like what happened from the day that I met Mike up until the Pell City, Alabama, like, dude, to me, that was the game changer. Like, especially when we showed up, and again, we'll talk about it, but when I showed up and wrecked the whole entire pro-am field, you know, the second moto of Pell City, like, you know, it was a disaster, but at the same time, like in my head, like we set this tone that, you know, from that point forward, again, I never wrecked anybody on purpose that I can remember. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, everybody knew that you did not want to be in front of me, like (laughs) unless you could legit outrun me. And that was cool. Like, you know, it, it was, it was cool to me. So to uh, tell that story, because uh, the next thing that I was going to ask about is what year, what was all happening as far as you and Walsh and uh, the race program and everything going into 2008. So tell me about that, because that's when it seemed to me like that's when the full Walsh, you know, ride basically happened and everything going into 2008. So tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, for sure. And Mike can chime in some on this too, but to me, that's what, I mean, in my head, it, you know, not only racing career, racing career to me, I mean, it's a small part of it, but Mm -hmm. in my head, like what my mom and dad, you know, they sacrificed for one, but it, it changed my life forever. Like, you know, we took something that again, it was a hobby and I never, you know, I never took it super serious, but at the same time I wanted to win so bad. And I remember going down there to Mike, and again, I had no idea. You know, me and Mike didn't know each other. He brings me in, and like, you know, actually, I'm sure you knew, but I lived like I had a room in Walsh Race Cap. And so every day, you know, like we would get up, me, Mike, Bard, a few other guys, like we would go running every day. And like, I, I never worked out a day in my life ever up b- before this point. 
we would go to the track, like, and we'll talk more about going to the track just because there was some fun times going to the track, but I just wanted to hit on, like, Mike would go every day. Like, you know, like that year, 09, he stopped, but, like, he didn't go every day. But 2008, it was me and Mike. Like, we were at the track, and I'm sure Mike remembers, but for the most part, like, my motos didn't end. Like, Mike was over there, you know, the pit board, and I basically rode to a wreck. Like, and it most sometimes it didn't take long. Like, you know, like I drive <laughs> two laps and wipe out, but that's that's really what it was. Like, you know, we went out there every day and I continued, and Mike would always put me with, he would always put guys out there with me, you know, like Jasmine Plant. Like, I hope Jasmine listens to this because that dude was a game changer. Like, most of the pros did, you know, I was kind of the outcast the whole entire time up until you know, probably sometime mid-2009 season. But up until then, like, I remember us, you know, like me, Mike, I'm sure it didn't bother him as much as it did me. But, you know, like, we used to – like, I would die to go to Tommy Contello's track. But, you know, I was a kid, so everything was a race. Like, you know, like – and I'm sure that was a big part of it. I was a young kid, just wide open. But, you know, I didn't have a slow speed, so they would rarely let me ride over there. You know, Mike would always call for me. But at the same time, like, they'd always come up with some excuse why everybody else could ride over there. And then Cody couldn't, which is okay. And I don't blame them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm sure I'd get over and wipe out. And, like, it wasn't going to sue anybody or anything. But it it was just a thing. Like, so it, it was just cool to me, Mike, being out there every day. And, again, like, we broke a lot of parts. Like, I mean, that thing, Mike would put that thing together one night, and I would literally total it the day after. You know, like – and that was a thing, like, and it happened all the time. And, like, we were talking about switching the parts. This is the thing, like, Mike said we butted heads. Like, I can still remember. And, like, it, like I thought about it earlier. I was like, what am I going to talk about? You know, my racing career is so short. Like, so I was like, I ain't going to have enough to talk about. And then I started thinking about that 08 season. And I remember, like, Mike, you know, like, I come in one day, and because he has the connections he has, we've got like brand new PEPs, brand new Axis Airs, brand new Axis Spring Shocks, like anything you can think of. So he starts putting this crap on my bike with his A arms, his swing arm. And dude, like I go out there and ride it. And I'm like, Mike, I think you should just put my stock stuff back on and put the <laughs> stickers on it, dude. Like this crap, I can't make it work. And dude, this was a week long thing. Like I'm talking so. I was so aggravated, and finally, Mike just had to put his foot down. He was like, dude, if you ain't going around my crap, you can go home. Like, And that's pretty much the conversation. It was a lot longer than that. But then I realized, I was like, you know, this dude is trying to help me. Like, So we've got to figure it out. And then I guess, I don't know, Mike, you can probably remember, but I'd say it took us a month or two to start jiving. And then once that happened, it like – it all kind of just fell together. I mean, in my opinion, like that's when we started making moves. And again, I brought up Jasmine earlier. I remember when I first started riding for Mike, like when I first moved down there, like I'd be out on the track. And even back then, like I could turn some, like in my head, crazy fast laps. Like I was compatible with plant, you know, in my head at the end of the year, I was faster than even that season. As far as turning a lap, I was just as fast then as I was in 2012. I was just a lot more out of control. But I remember Jasmine, like he would, he was the only guy that would come out there and battle it out with me. I remember like just thinking how good he was because 
I would be out there ripping, you know, like going as fast as I possibly could. And Jasmine come up beside me. He's only got one hand on the handlebars, grabbing my handlebars as we're going down a straightaway, you know, 50 mile an hour. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to step my game up. This dude's <laughs> on another level. And like I felt like that was a huge deal. And like Jasmine, again, we, I only got to hang out with him one year because of Mike. But I think he was a super, like, he was super helpful to our program. Obviously, Mike was the biggest part of it, you know, getting me to where I was. But I think Jasmine being there, like, again, nobody else wanted anything to do with riding with me on the track. Even if they were there, you know, everybody stayed half the track away from me just because <laughs> you never knew when something bad was fixing to happen. So. Well, and, and, you know, to chime in here, Jasmine was an amazing rider. I mean, he rode with me. I, I, rose, I raced Ponte Vu with him. And, uh, you know, I raced uh, Montreal Supercross with him. And we raced together way before that. We raced together at District 34 because he was from Canada. I was from Connecticut. We became good friends. And, and Jasmine, just to, just to touch where, where Cody left off, he was mm -hmm. one of the most talented people out there. He was just a great rider. We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. Welcome to the team, two-time champ Joel Hetrick, who dropped the biggest news of the offseason when he announced his move to CST Tires. The CST takeover has been gaining momentum over the past several seasons, and now Joel Hetrick and his Phoenix Racing teammate Jeffrey Rastrelli are the most recent additions. The Pulse MXR tire has helped lead riders like Thomas Brown to race wins in three consecutive Quad Cross of Nations titles, Nick Janusa to the Pro Class podium, myself Cody Jansen as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft comp on rears to back-to-back -back national champions in the Junior 25 Plus class, and the most recent additions have us thinking a pro-class national championship is on the horizon for CST tires. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. Visit shop.csttires.com to join the CST takeover today, or prepare to be beat by someone who did. Joel Hetrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Nick Janusa, myself, and so many others are believers in CST Tires. Are you? CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. You already know we're Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Whether it's second all-time winningest, seven-time and reigning ATV MX Pro Class National Champion Chad Weenan, or six-time and current XC1 Pro ATV GNCC National Champion Walker Fowler, it's clear the podium-proven Yamaha YFC 450R is the winning choice of sport ATVs. This unprecedented success for the YFC 450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the undeniable fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has created a Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. Better yet, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program is back and even stronger for 2021, meaning Yamaha riders are about to cash in on higher payouts and more prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors, and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the historically great Team Valvoline. 
From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race quads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. I've experienced increased function and durability as well as a longer life expectancy thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, and everywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at Valvoline.com. SSI decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Wienan, the company quickly took off, and today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross, as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and oh yeah, six-time NHRA World Champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID and their wide range of championship winning chains. From the street to the track and everywhere in between, DID chains are designed to give you the optimal riding experience with great performance and increased chain life. Consistent to the core, pick up your box of reliability today. DID, what drives you? We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Numira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, that allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Numira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, visit your local dealer or online at www.numira.com. Numira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits. Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world. Visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. 4Works Carbon's innovative, lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber, and plastic hoods, gas tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, 4Works has the goodies that will improve your ride and make you salivate. We trust 4Works for increased function and a sexier look, and you should too. 4Works Carbon, always working hard to bring high-quality and innovative parts to the market. Check them out today at fwcarbon.com. So tell me about that, that first race, that season, then Cody, 2008, you guys go to the track. Tell me, uh, tell me where, how that season started. Oh, dude, like there was a lot going into that race, but again, like, like, I, I guess whenever we left Walsh that year, like I was going there to do nothing other than win. Like, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind, like, we put in the work and it was just a different, it was a different Cody. Like from the time that I signed up in 2007 to 2008, again, I hate talking about myself, but it's, it's one of my best memories. Like I remember lining up, you know, there was, I don't know how many qualifiers there were, but there were four or five. And when I say I, and 
again, this was something else. Like, I just want to talk about it because I think it's cool. But it was something else me and Mike bumped heads on. There was this other rider, and I love the guy. He's a cool dude. But, again, I was a kid. But Chris Bowen, like, he rode for Mike as well. And he was good. But in my head, like, I was on another level. You know, like, and that's – like, when we showed up to that race, I had no other goals than to smoke everybody. Like (laughs) – and that literally, like, I, I'm not just saying that to sound cocky. Like, it really, I had no other goal than, I remember the gate dropping. Best case scenario, I pulled the start, and I did exactly what I went out there to do. And I remember Bowen won his, and me and Mike are sitting at the trailer. And, you know, even back then, everybody had big rigs. We're in a normal trailer. Yep. And I knew before we ever went and looked at it, I was like, I am the fastest person on the track. Like, there's no way that anybody is going faster than me. And sure enough, like, you know, we go over and check this stuff out. And, dude, I am so excited. You know, everybody, you know, there was a lot of little races up to this point. So we had some people that wasn't super happy with us, like, just because I get close to people. But I remember, like, we do that. Again, we smoke everybody. Like, I'm so excited just because I just won Pro-Am. I'd never even – you know, you said I finished fourth earlier in 07. Don't really remember that. But this next year, there was so many more people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me to go out and just, like, kill everybody, like, it wasn't it wasn't expected by anybody other than me. Like, I knew I was going to do it, but nobody else was sure. Like, they had no idea. But I remember, like, the probably the highlight of my career. I hate that everybody wrecked. It's just something that I remember. I remember lining up for that second moto that day. And, you know, all the best guys are lined up beside me. And still, I don't know any of these people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're to me, some of them still famous. I remember Thomas Brown rode with Weenan, and I was like, oh, that's a freaking cool dude. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the gate drops. I, I pull a couple of bike links immediately because I didn't weigh anything. Well, about halfway up that hill, I remember that thing starting to wheelie, and I did not know what to do. Like, I could not let off the gas. And it just gets higher, higher, higher. And before I knew it, I let off and there's people all around me. So I just take out half the field. Like, you know, there's people flipping everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting cussed out from every angle. Like, there's somebody cussing me every which way I look. And I just remember getting back on the bike and I didn't even let it phase me. Like, I was half a track down and never lifted. I rode wide open from the time that I got back on it. And I still was way behind, but I just remember I turned, if I didn't turn the fastest lap of the race, it was right there with it. And I just crashed everybody in program. You know, I got ran over everything else, but that to me, that was, that was the turning point. I was like, you know, like I'm here now, like everybody knows that I'm coming to win. And from that, you know, the rest was history from there in my eyes. So tell me about that, uh, that weekend from your perspective, Mike. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, it was crazy because leading up to that, uh, Cody had a bad give, get off. I believe it was this year. I mean, we, we were tested, like he said, we were tested some, uh, different shocks and, uh, some different, uh, hard parts. So we had the savior on the, on the Suzuki. Um, we were testing that obviously that wasn't a huge hit. Um, you know, it, it stayed for a while, but went away, but, we had, you know, I won't mention any names. We had some shocks on that thing. And uh, Cody was coming down. I think we went to Pale City to practice, uh, to train, because they had an open practice. So we, we loaded up the van. 
and me and Cody went out and uh, it was just, it was just us and, and, and nobody, you know, people were, people were, people knew they were starting to know about Cody, but it, like I said, he hadn't, he hadn't really dropped the hammer yet. So, but coming down that, um, the hill before the whoops by the finish line at what rate, what track was that? Hell City, Alabama. Oh, it's, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, Alabama. So, right. So he crashed really bad on that, on that savior, LTR savior. And that was a really, that was kind of a moment for me where I was like, all right, I need to check myself. Uh, we need to get this kid back on something he's used to. And we ended up racing with the, with the SR. So the SR link and um, Fox, you know, um, mm -hmm. but that was because I felt responsible and it was a pretty bad wreck. And we, we go, you know, and I can remember so past that. And then I can remember me and Cody were working late and we had no time to get this bike ready. I mean, we were running a DASA engine and um, it was a carbureted Suzuki and we had done a lot of dynoing and a lot of testing, but we were cutting it really, really close before Pale City. And uh, right before Pell City, right, exactly. And um, we ended up, um, remember that? We were in the, we were working late. We couldn't get the bike running. Something was going on. It was either carburetor problems or electrical or something. Finally, at the last minute, we got we got everything going and we went up there. So it was stressful for me as a as a team owner and, and with having Cody um, <clears throat> and feeling responsible for his program, which we were. Um, there was a lot going into that race. And, you know, I knew Cody had the speed. There was no, you know, that that was not a problem. I mean, there was fast guys. Like, I think Thomas, he rode real smooth, real smooth. And and, and he won his qualifier or he actually might have won the race. But, I mean, like I said, it was really, really exciting. Um, and like Cody, Cody, for Cody, it was a, a big turning point. But for me, it was like, okay, we got some holes in our program because um, we ended up blowing up the motor, I believe. We broke a valve. I was very upset about that. Um, so because I had a – I promised, you know, Fabian and, and Cody and, and, and uh, you know, and the whole family, mm -hmm. you know, we were going to give it our best shot. And, and, and that, I felt like I didn't give it our best shot. I felt like we came up short. So after coming home from that race, we made changes to the program. But, um, you know, and, and Suzuki was having a lot of problems with their um, valves. They had all titanium, you know, their st the stock LTR, you know. But we were breaking some valves and doing some stuff, and stuff that shouldn't have been happening was happening. Mm -hmm. um, people were blaming on the carburetor, but we knew it wasn't, you know, in-house. We knew it wasn't – that was not a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I said, there was – you know, some headbutting and there were some things going on, but I, we were gelling. We were working as a team. We were going to win. And I think we all have the same goal. And if you have all of the same goal, you know, I, I think that, that you're, you're going to have positive results. And uh, that was the beginning of a great season, you know? So, well, I mean, I, there, there's some, you know, I, and, and, and that's the thing when we were training at AMP, Cody didn't mention this, but he was coming through the whoop section and he flipped. So he came off the bike and he flipped and the bike was cartwheeling and it probably cartwheeled 10 or 12 times and it climbed the fence and went over the fence and went down the backside of the fence. 
So the bike was in the stands, if you will. Cody was still on the track. It, it, there was a lot of there was a lot of moments, a lot a lot of moments. So well, well, all those moments helped build, you know, this this legend or whatever of Cody Gibson, right? And uh, yeah, I love uncovering these stories, obviously. But that's when the legend was kind of born. It was kind of born um, at the start of that 2008 season, and you know, 2008. That's the you know the black and white quad. You know the the pictures that you see of Cody sideways, the polka dot gear. Uh, you know it was legendary. Right. And, um, you know, that's when 2008 was when we saw that meteoric rise of, of what Cody was truly capable of. He was one year removed from, you know, that a class title and already in the pro-am class, Cody, you're racking up, you know, eight overall wins, 10 podiums, 21 individual moto wins. You end up winning the pro-am unlimited title that year. And like you said, especially as a kid, it's funny to, to, to like, remember back to your mentality as a kid, but uh, your, your goal was just to break everybody. And um, you were already must watch at that point. I guess that's what I remember. Like everybody, um, you know, going to the fences because everybody's got to watch Cody Gibson in 2008. Uh, I, again, I agree. And like, that, that was my thing. Like every time that we went out there, like, Again, like I always knew, and I think that's a big part of it, you know, like my mom and dad would always try to slow me down, but they had all like, you know, they, they didn't care if I won or not. You know, my mom would beg me not to jump the big triple in the back. You know, she's like, please, like, just, just get over to the side and roll that thing, you know, and then I would go out and hit it first lap of practice. Like I got to hit it now. I got to hit it now. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that that was always my thing. And I think a huge part of it, again, like, you know, I've gave my, my credit a few times now, but I always knew, you know, like, especially after the first race, second race, even three months before the first race, like, I always knew when I lined up, my stuff, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm hating on anybody else. I love everybody that I ever raced with. But I always knew my stuff was better. Like in my head, I was like, I like I am completely capable. Like as long as I can stay on this thing, I have the fastest four wheeler. Like mm-hmm. there's no reason for me not to win. Like and that's the way. Like you know, I, I feel like a huge part of my success was, you know, any time that I lined up, I knew that I was going to win. Even if I didn't win, I knew that I was going to win. Like before the gate ever dropped, I was like, you know, like. Even if somebody was in front of me, that was my big thing. Mike is the one that taught me that. But if you go back and watch any of my videos, I wouldn't follow anybody. You know, like everybody knew if I was behind you, you heard me. Like I was going to be figuring out a way around you. And that's, you know, that turned into a thing in itself, you know, throughout the season. I think I don't know when the next race was, but I know that that's back when Smitty was still doing the announcement, but they actually brought us up in the booth and told us they were going to kick us out of AMA if I touched anybody else. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, like I never intentionally hit anybody. It was always just <laughs> like, it was insane. Like, cause I was so little and I was racing all these guys are so much bigger than me, but I wasn't scared of anybody when I was on that four wheeler. Like if I, again, if I touched somebody and knocked them off the track, I felt bad. But at the same time, like, it, I never thought about it beforehand. Like I never was like, you know, I touched this guy. He's going to be mad. Like it never was that. It's like, how am I getting around this dude? Like once he's out of the way, like I'll worry about that later. But, and I, I think that's what, like, I, 
again, I think that was a huge key to my success is, you know, of course, my parents, Mike, but also just I had zero fear when I was riding. Like, you know, I wrecked. Like, y'all seen a lot of the wrecks at the races, but Mike seen me wreck. <laughs> I am telling you, like, like, he couldn't count that high. And what's crazy is I never got hurt. Like, you know, I would knock a tooth out or something stupid, you know, stub a finger, but I never would lay on the ground. You know, no matter how hard I hit, I, I don't know if you ever remember any of my wrecks. That was my mom's big thing. You know, unless I'm knock on wood, I never get, you know, hurt bad. But, you know, unless I'm paralyzed or something, I do not lay on the ground. So that was always my big thing. And everybody knew that, you know, if I hit the ground, I was coming up running, I was finding my stuff, getting back on it. And again, I, I think that, <laughs> I think that really sums up that whole year. You know, I was just there to win however I could. Well, it seems like, uh, it seems like either you won or, or the wheels fell off and something happened because, uh, so this is your championship season. I have it sitting in front of me. So 18th first first, 17th, 5th, 1st, 20th, 1st, 1st, 16th, and you win the title by nine points over Josh Williams. So you either, either won or something happened, Cody. That's what that season was. No, that was for sure. Like that, and it was crazy, but that, like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I, I swear again, I, like I had such a short career, I, you know, I never was a racer growing up as far as motocross and mm-hmm. for us to come in and turn it into that in two years. And like, that's what I always like, you know, again, I, I never was one to toot my own horn or talk about myself, but mm-hmm. that was always my big thing. Like, I was like, dude, these dudes have been doing this way longer than me. And, you know, like, we're out here cleaning house. Like I could care less about a championship. And that's really the way I thought as long as we were winning races and people were pumped to watch us go out there. Like, you know, cause no matter, you know, what I say, like it definitely made me feel good. Like I knew like, you know, when I pulled up to the gate, everybody was coming to the fence. And most of the time I was probably to watch me crash real bad. And I was fine with that. Like, you know, I was all about it. If that's what it did, we'd wipe out. Oh, that's funny. You know, the crazy thing that stands out to me too. Um, and, and obviously it stood out to me how quickly you become such a great rider, but you were also such a raw talent. Like you said, you know, doing this wheelie going up this hill on the, on the start of this moto and you don't know what to do. Like, it's crazy to think that, you know, you were still like new to this whole thing yet. You're mopping up the pro-am class. No, that was for sure. The, like the only thing that I like that I can think, you know, like I feel and I do feel like it's a thing. I feel like some people, again, could be completely false, but I feel like some people really understand traction like mm-hmm. and some people don't. And I, I think that it was just one of those things. I, it was luck of the draw. Like I just understood what made that thing go fast. Like I could always pick a line. And again, Nobody's seen the hours. I put in more work before that 08 season, me and Mike and my mom and my dad. Like, we put in more work that season than all my other racing career combined. Like, that that, that was the turning point. And, again, Mike was always standing out there. If I was doing something wrong, you know, like earlier, I was bashing his parts. That wasn't what I was getting at. Like, it, you know, like obviously once he showed me that they work, I went – 20 times faster you know I was a complete different rider but 
he was always there. And I like, you know, we were talking about button heads. He'd be like, you need to change this and change this setting. And I'd be like, no, like, you know, I, I don't want to, like, it's working fine. And he would just go over and do it anyway. And that led up to, you know, through that 08 season, like I didn't even ask what he was doing. I would just pull in, Mike, fix it. You know, like whatever you think it needs. Cause I, that was one thing I never figured out. I didn't know what the bike needed. As long as he said it was good, I was going to go fast. Like, <laughs> That's all I needed to hear was him say, you know, like, you're good to go. And it's kind of what it led into. You know, I, I did I, – we haven't really talked about – when we were in Virginia, where they had that big triple, you know, and I just kind of wanted to say this. I've been thinking about this. Yeah. And there was um down in the valley coming out of the back, there was this massive quad, you know. These are just more Cody Gibson stories. But um he ended up – uh you know they were they were like double doubling it or whatever but cody and he didn't he never said a word he didn't say anything about it i didn't even know it was there and he ends up trying to quad this thing and he does but he lands so hard that he comes flying off of the bike he could not hold on to the landing <laughs> but that's just another cody gibson story it was just uh they, they go on and on you know <laughs> definitely the funnest Funnest times I ever had at the track and um, working with uh, an individual rider because it was so easy and, 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 and it was just so easy because Cody was just happy and pumped on life and pumped on racing and, and his parents were so supportive. I mean, I've never seen a family like like come down, make a decision and just literally start just throwing money around and buying stuff and putting rooms together and and making deals and just you know everybody's supportive his mom was very supportive his dad was supportive they're all supportive we're shoot we were racing out of their trailer we didn't have a big show we didn't have but we knew we had what it took mm-hmm. to win races yeah and, and that was what was important for us and the one thing that i wanted to touch on before too was you know i know coat like Cody doesn't need to tell us, Cody, you don't need to tell me that you don't like talking about yourself because we needed to, you know, pin you down to make this happen. I feel like, but the cool part about you telling your story is that there's people out there who are in the Hills of Tennessee somewhere. And they're like, man, I don't, you know, I don't know how you, you know, get into motocross racing or ATV racing or whatever. And to hear a story like yours, where you didn't come from a decade of racing and, you know, a decade of racing mini quads at the nationals and whatever, yet, like you wanted it bad enough. You wanted to win. You worked your tail off. You know, you used your natural ability. You got to being, you know, this, this prolific racer. And then you found your place at the nationals. Like that's part of the story that, you know, you kind of like to showcase because there's other people out there that are just finding a way to make it happen. And you're kind of a story that shows like, Hey, like if you want it bad enough, you can make it happen. No, I, that completely makes sense. And again, I, I'm glad that I got on here now. It's definitely <laughs> like, I'm enjoying myself. It's cool seeing Mike, seeing you like, Again, I, I, I'm telling you, like when I say that I have not talked about racing, like literally, you know, I get on here and listen to your podcast and every time there's a race or something, like I'll get on there and see who wins it. But sure. for the most part, like racing, like when I exited, like that was it, you know, I bought a razor, like they say with age comes a cage, but I bought that and that's pretty much like I bought a dirt bike the other day. 
and rode that thing a little bit. I done sold it, but but again, <laughs> I'm with you. Like I, I'm glad that I got on there, and especially like you said, you, like in my opinion, you, you definitely. I mean, obviously, it would help to race throughout your whole life, but if it, you know, if it wasn't your thing and you're coming in, I mean, we definitely between me, Mike, and my parents, we definitely proved that. You only need about two years to get up there and win pro am. <laughs> like, sure. Oh, you showed how it was done. So up until that point, you had been on the Walsh Suzuki. Um, but you know, for 2009, that was the Kawasaki year. And Mike told us that you guys had some factory support and stuff, which was obviously a huge deal for that year. But what do you remember about you know the early stages of that deal coming together? And uh, and if you liked the Kawasaki, did you like that? I mean, you guys had the Suzuki so dialed. Uh, I feel like you know that that Suzuki was up on a pedestal. Was it difficult to get the Kawasaki to the point where you liked it as much as you liked those Suzukis? Um, that's a good question. Like, to be dead honest, no, like I, I, like, I don't even, I'm sure we're allowed to talk about it, but Mike, do you remember the Kawasaki you cut the bottom off of? So anyway, Mike built me this Kawasaki, like when it first got down there, he like shaved, I don't know exactly what we did or he did, but he like shaved the bottom of the frame of this thing and built like this kid plate on it. Well, anyway, like, dude, he builds this thing. And, like, when I go down there, and, again, Kramer can get on there and hate on me. Like, I, I love all those dudes. But I remember, like, Kramer coming down. I had just been riding this thing for, like, a week or two. Michael's there as well. And, again, Kramer had just started riding for the winter. Like, he had just got down there in factory Kawasaki. But we were literally on another level. And, like, I was so fast on that thing. Like, it – to me, it was, again, one of my fastest that I've ever been. I got hurt a few times that year, too. Like, not hurt, but I wrecked the, wrecked the crap out of those Kawasaki's in the offseason. But um, I, I don't know. We ended up before the first race. Like, it wasn't super long, which Michael know better than me, but somebody ended up protesting before the races even started, like, so, like, we had this Kawasaki dial, like, and when I say I was fast on it, like, we went to some SSQSA races against all the Pro-Am guys at the time. You know, everybody was running it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, man, like, I, again, I'm friends with all those guys, but we were at a point where I could have about lined up backwards and still won the race. And then within, what, three weeks later, that's when I think Mike got the phone call and we basically had to trash that thing and start over. Can we talk yeah. about that, Mike? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I came up, you know, the shop come up with the, the ideas that we were going to uh, pretty much squish the Suzuki, uh, the Cowie. So we we're gonna, because we know we we knew what we had with the, with the Suzuki. We knew we knew weight distribution. We knew weights. We knew seat heights. We knew peg heights. We knew you know bar position. We knew all that. So we knew what Cody liked. We've been working together. We've been talking a lot. We knew the deal. We knew we were going to have problems with power, but, you know, the, the Cowie was light, and uh, we also knew Cody could ride anything. I mean, if you set it up right and you got him comfortable, he was going to ride the wheels off of it. So we were really concentrating on that, that foot peg to sea height and, and, and chassis height. And what we did was we ended up ta- – we built, we built a fixture – and in one of the milling machines, we took off three quarters of an inch off the bottom of the chassis because the frame reels were real thick 
on the Cowie. <clears throat> um, and, and, and we, we, we added a, a, a welded on skid plate. So to, to re to bring the strength back, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we kind of made it like a unibody. We, we went. And so, and then we lowered the seat height and subframe and radiator three quarters of an inch. So we ended up, we ended up squishing the Kawasaki by an inch and a half. Okay. And we had it working. It was really good. It was light. You know, the, the biggest problem with the Cowies for us was really the horsepower. We we were behind the, the scene. We were we were struggling with horsepower compared to what we had with our Suzuki's. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to obtain ergonomics, but we, we really couldn't get over the horsepower hump. So uh, but we knew we had a light rider, we knew we had a talented rider, and we knew a guy we knew we had a guy that no not many people could beat off the gate. So we knew we were still good. And that's kind of where, you know, where all that came in. And we had a phenomenal year um, that entire year. And uh, Kawasaki really wanted him to race into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a prolific year. So 10 overall wins, 15 podiums, 20 moto victories, and national championships in both Pro-Am Production and Pro-Am Unlimited. Uh, but tell me about that protest, Mike. So, so did what was that about was it the production rule thing or what was that well yeah um we ended up we ended up we couldn't change the geometry of the frame on the bottom okay so they we we could okay so we couldn't weld we could basically the modifications were too extensive Mm -hmm. i understand yeah Yep. I understand because, because the one class was a production class. That was why. Right. 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 Exactly. So we had to come up with something that was going to work. And mm-hmm. plus we were thinking of the future. We were thinking of pro. Mm-hmm. So, and plus we were thinking about sellable parts. Of course. Um, so, you know, yeah, we could, we could mill everybody's, you know, Kawasaki, but AMA wasn't cool with it. It wasn't legal. Mm-hmm. And we under- couldn't get it. I mean, you go to the Honda and you look at the pro tank, you look at, you look at, you know, I had to, I had to do extensive work to get the, the pro tank legalized for the Honda. And that, you know, that was through, um, actually numerous people, but, you know, I was ended up getting that deal solidified with Harv and, you know, and that, that tank became legendary everybody that was running a Honda was running a lowered Honda. Not everybody, but a lot of people like mm-hmm. 90% of the fast guys. So yeah, kind of the same thing. It just didn't happen. Like we couldn't get the Cowie. We couldn't get the Cowie through. So Cody, tell me about that year. Do you have any uh, like races stories, anything that stands out about that year on the Kawasaki? I can remember uh, a race or two with a pesky little guy who had just moved up to the pro-am class named Joel Hetrick, uh, Steel City, maybe Unadilla stands out, I think, to me. But do you have any stories or races from that year that stand out, Cody? There's, like, for me that year, like, I don't remember a ton. I remember Birch Creek. Like, I can't remember what we did. I, I don't – I know I wrecked on the big triple real bad, and we fixed that, and then – I can't remember what happened to the motor, but we ended up blowing a motor and Mike worked like crazy. And in my head, he put it back stock. Like it seemed like maybe they gave him a stock head and a stock jug and all that stuff. And I, I remember we went out and still won. And like, we were way under power. At well, that 
Well, yeah. So what Cody's talking about is we broke we broke uh, we broke a valve, and uh, and when we broke the valve, we uh, we bent the rod. <laughs> oh yeah. So okay. you know, me and the crew worked real hard, and we had to we straightened the rod with like oh another gosh. rod and, and and raced it anyhow but yeah cody's right we didn't have our good head we didn't have our good stuff we had wiped out a bunch of it and 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 we 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 won or we raced that race and did you know superior with a bent connecting rod you know obviously we straighten it as good as we can we could yeah, yeah. you know but we didn't have I mean, we were factory su- supported. We were a legitimate factory supported race team, yeah. but that didn't mean we had just parts coming out, you know, of all corners. And that didn't mean we had good parts coming out of all corners. We had, we did have access to good parts. We did have good parts, but we didn't have a ton of them. So we had to make what we, we had work and we, and it was a time crunch, you know, straightening the rod, making the Tennessee faithful proud, just slamming that thing back together. <laughs> yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> so, so were you guys, uh, you said horsepower was, you know, was kind of an issue was keeping them together an issue as well. Yeah. I, I remember being at Tommy Tantillo's house and if I, I'm pretty sure I'm accurate at seven hours, you know, like I got, I rode those just like everything else, but they were wide open, you know, from time that we went out <laughs> till that I wrecked or they blew up, but right. I can remember them slinging rods out the front of the motor at seven hours. And I, it seems like seven hours was a real number. And then that happened like two or three times. And of course, every time it happens over a face of a jump, you know, when you chop the throttle, the rod slings through the front of the motor there. And like, I just remember that was a huge thing. And then Mike actually in my head, he designed a rod with Carrillo. Is that right, Mike? And then yeah, yeah. Cur- Carrillo, they ended up uh, making some real good stuff and that solved that problem. But uh, remember when Chad came to test? And he put the rod through the motor too. Yeah. Yeah, Right. He that, you know, that's something really probably not many people know, but Chad ended up testing our bike because factory Kawasaki got wind that we had made some frame modifications. So they sent the big gun down to Mm -hmm. test the bike and the rod goes through the front. What was the name of that track? Um, you remember that in Madison? I remember it. I can't remember what they called that place, though. Yeah, that place is crazy. But anyways, yeah, so that happened. That was the reality of that. But, yeah, we had some issues we were battling through, but, you know, we made it. As the number one podcast in ATV racing, it's only right that we partner with the industry leaders in suspension tuning. Insert Impact Solutions. Impact Solutions is a full-service ATV and side-by-side suspension center specializing in the revalving and service of your motocross and off-road suspension. With over 25 years of elite-level knowledge, experience, and testing with riders of all ages and ability levels, Casey Greek, Jay Goble, and the Impact crew strive to exceed clients' expectations for service and setup. Impact Solutions is the official Elka Suspension Service Center of the United States, offering unmatched product knowledge and experience. Whether you're in need of service, parts, warranty, sales, or technical support, Impact Solutions has you covered. Head over to impactsolutionsatv.com or give them a call today. 
We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. The following message is brought to you by Manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has outdone themselves this time, creating the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, an official sponsor of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I am blown away. This thing is next level. What sets this trimmer apart from all the rest? The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It features a new multi-functioning on-off switch with travel lock for those of us who like to travel. And my favorite, the new trimmer allows you to customize your trim with four different guard lengths, an upgrade from its predecessor that only featured two. If you're listening, you know that good tools are a must, so wait no more to get the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes, a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology. DP has been dominating the ATV world for decades, supporting the best four-wheeled racers on the planet. 2021's impressive lineup includes Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rostrelli of the Phoenix Racing Team, myself, Cody Jansen, and my back-to-back national championships, Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, Wesley Wolf, and many more, including all of the top 14 GNCC Series pros, led by the champ Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, and Chris Borich. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on the top of the podium. Available at www.dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or message the show for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders in the world on DP Brakes. 15 years into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back with us and continuing to make huge waves in the ATV world. For the second consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team, providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for some of the fastest riders on the planet. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to Factory43ATV.com to see their full line of products available for all makes and models. Want to be just like Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rostrelli riding with Factory 43's industry-leading products? Head over to Factory43ATV.com today. Success in the ATV MX world is similar to what creates financial success as well. The right people, the right advice, and more importantly, hard work and the benefit of an ongoing relationship as situations change and adversity is experienced. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Haymower Financial Group can create a personalized, goal-based plan to help your family prepare for whatever life brings. Call me, Scott Haymower, at Haymower Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services at 920-338-8150. That's 920-338-8150. Offices located in beautiful De Pere, Wisconsin, with registrations and clients nationwide. So then that was uh, obviously, like I said, prolific year, both titles, all these things. So heading into the finale, Cody, you had both titles wrapped up and you made your pro debut racing out of the factory Kawasaki rig. What do you remember about that day? Like, was that a, was that a dream come true for you at that point? 
It was definitely cool. I mean, it like again, like you like you said, it was definitely a dream come true. I mean, it it was a cool deal. I okay. mean, in in my head, it went about as worse as I guess I guess it could. Okay. But at the same time, like I enjoyed it. My honest opinion, like I hate Loretta's. Like okay. I hate the track. Like I, I just anytime that I got hurt or had a really good wreck, like Ten Commandments and Cody never got along like like every year like you know i was trying to triple triple in or something i'd smash into the fourth one and you know there was never like i never had a good recovery like i i either like landed out of control and stayed out of control until i wrecked or that track just never it never was forgiving for me so it was just in my head it was kind of bad timing but at the same time it was we had fun i mean we definitely like we that was one thing that me and Mike never failed to do. We always had a blast, you know, dealing right. with the races. But again, I, I don't have any great memories of going out there and killing it. But so so what would your like do you remember what your expectations were going in though? Like were you shooting for, you know, some specific place or anything like that? Man, that's that's been my thing from the start. And whenever we talk about next year, like the 2010, which I've not talked about that horrible year until, you know, here in just a minute, but right. right. I get it. It is not in again, like, and it's probably the reason I didn't make it to the, you know, the next level, honestly, like, I mean, it's, it's real, mm-hmm. but there is no way that I could tell myself that I'm going to go out there and get third. Like it, it never was a thing. Like it, Okay. And I, again, I don't want to sound cocky because no, you don't. Cocky. No, you're telling yeah. us how you think. Like that's yeah, and, and I just, think it never, it never was a thing. Like I think, I, I think I, that that explains a lot, Cody. Though, like I think it explains a lot of 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 maybe what happened because for me, it was it just felt like like not like it was too much. It was just like, man, the pressure was a ton, and I thought that a ton of the pressure came from yourself, and that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. And that was always the case. Like, you know, there was, there was plenty of times, even that year, even though eight season, like, again, like there's no way that I can sit on this podcast and be like, you know, there was races that I would have smoked all those pro guys. Cause it's just not real. Right. But in my head, there was definitely tracks and that was always my big thing. You know, obviously I could turn a fast lap like that. That's a good, everybody knows that I can go fast or could go fast. Right. But it was just one of those things like Loretta's wasn't one of those places. Like, you know, I feel like even in the pro class, like, you know, I would have had to give some and take some, you know, obviously I don't think even if I kept racing until now, I don't think I would ever have won a race at Redbud. Like if I would have signed up that pro class, I would have been doing solid to finish. Like, you know, it just wasn't <laughs> my place, but Sure. If you would put all of us out there on a highway and put a few jumps on it that we can do 78 mile an hour, like most likely I would win. Like, cause that was my thing. Like, you know, it's just, and that's, that's the way I always looked at it. And again, when we talk about the pro season, there was a lot going into it. Like, but even then I still thought that I was going to win up until six weeks before the first race. Yeah. So, so did your perspective change at all? Like, and I'm assuming the answer is no, but I got to ask. So your perspective didn't change after Loretta's though. Like that next season, you were still going to win, even though it was a, you know, the debut didn't go that great or whatever, but your rookie season as a pro, you were going to win. 
Absolutely. And, and, and again, like we can, I got, we could pull up dates like Luke may he like yeah. look it up films. Like he could tell you, but I think it was up until six weeks before the race, seven weeks, mm-hmm. I had full intentions. And as far as, you know, I didn't have Mike behind me, but we were somewhat making it work. Like, you know, like in my head, like I was trying to make it work. Yep. And it was completely, completely different setup. Yes. And again, like it's different when you have Mike Walsh in your corner. Yeah. But there was a time, you know, like Team Suzuki came down like with like seven weeks to the first race. And to say that I was ripping was an understatement. You know, Glute can tell you I was absolutely I was riding with everybody. I was riding with Kramer. Thomas Brown, I was riding anybody that could come down there and ride with me. You know, we were all riding together. Yeah. So I knew where I stood. And in my head, I was winning. Like, and, you know, I talked about earlier, like I have all these bad wrecks, like 2009, like Mike, I know you remember this. Like we were at Tommy Tantillo's house and I took that Kawasaki fifth gear. Like drove that thing straight into the pine trees. It's the only time I've ever went to the hospital with Mike. Yeah. And so he carts me into the hospital and there ended up not being much wrong with me. But anyway, we get to this track when I'm team testing with team Suzuki, I literally touch a hay bale. I am not joking. Doing five mile an hour on an off camber turn. Like the bike flips over. Don't even hurt it. I fall off and it shatters my collarbone. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And you know, like, so I'm jumping the gun, but you know, like we wait four weeks, I think, and I just start trying to ride again. And you know, then it re breaks at the first race, and then that's when they do surgery. Sure. And we still, you know, we don't wait. Like I was doing a photo shoot at Balance with staples throughout my whole shoulder. Like, and it just from that point, like, you know, it's super sour to me. Like, I hate again, I, I don't yeah. ever want to sound like a sore loser, but it was just one of those things after that point there was no winning for me. Like when I lined up on the gate, I knew that I was losing, like, and I couldn't get past it. Like, you know, I knew I couldn't run 20 minutes. I knew I wasn't strong. Mm-hmm. Like again, a- the support system, once I started losing, like it's even, you know, I ain't gonna say the team fell apart cause it didn't like, you know, and I Jody, he helped as much as he could, yep. but me and Jody didn't have the relationship that me and Mike did, but that, you know, Jody still stepped up and he was like, dude, if you need this, you know, he was doing everything he could yep. and he did a killer job at it. Yep. But at the end of the day, you know, Mike's like my brother, you know, like in, again, right. you know, like it, it was a, it was just, it was a huge change. We went from what razor tires or what Max's tires to ITP. And again, like in my head, we were making it work. Like we were making it work. And I feel like I would have been not saying the same rider, but it would have been the same effort. Like, you know, you could watch any race in 2010 and watch me ride, and it looks like I'm out there trail riding. And that was just never what I seen myself doing. I would rather ride like I normally did and wreck every race. I would have been happy with that. But just going out there to ride because I had sponsors to finish, it just wasn't a cool deal. Like, I, I didn't like it, and it's kind of what ran me away. No, I, I totally get that. And I, and I, now I remember the injury thing at the, but like, I think that that gets lost when people, you know, remember back to that season of yours. So prior to, so, so hitting pause for one second, prior to all of that, um, 
being that you rode, you know, out of the Kawi truck at the end of 2009 and all that stuff, I'm assuming the original plan and, and Mike kind of hinted at this already, but I'm assuming the original plan was for you to ride for Kawasaki in 2010 before, you know, they ultimately closed their doors on the ATV program, but I'm assuming that's the route that you would have went. It sounds like. Yeah, that, that year went all too crap. Like we had a solid plan like that. That's what it was going to go to. And I'm, yep. then it, then it was going to be Can-Am. And like, I actually, we met, I think it was that year. We met with Can-Am, like they flew into Tennessee, met with them. Then they signed Weenan. Like, so we didn't do that deal. Then the motion thing come up. Like, yeah. and it, it wasn't a, like, but it wasn't a big bunch of money. Like the motion thing wasn't. But at the same time, like, you know, we, we just made it work. Like, you know, obviously the best choice would have been me and Mike working out a deal, but with even Kawasaki pulling out and it, you know, and it's a sour subject. Like, you know, I love Mike and like, we ended up rekindling our relationship and fixing everything and racing together. Yeah. But I think if it could have all been done over, like, which I'm perfectly content with how my whole career went, where I've turned out, how I've turned out now. Like, I wouldn't change a thing. But, right, right. you know, it may be, you know, I, it could have been completely different. I think if Mike, if me and Mike would have stayed together and I grew as much as I've grew now, like, you know, like, because that was a big part of 2012. I got a foot taller, you know, like, <laughs> it was kind of a game changer, like, right. bigger. So, so tell me about how the Mucin thing came together then. Um, because you know, that was a, that was a privately funded, you know, deal there. You're back riding Suzuki's, um, tell me, tell me, tell me about that deal because, and I actually just posted it, but this is the period, you know, with the, the infamous photo, you know, with that glue shot with the state in the background. So tell us about how that came together. And then we need to hear the story about that, that photo. We need to hear about that as well. Dude, like that whole year was just like to simply play. Hey, it 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 seems like a circus from over over here, but no, dude, like Scott, first off, is awesome like he actually helped me and mike on the hybrid year like okay. he, he funded some money mike or, or scott is a super good dude but that was more of a rea- reality tv show than it was a race program like dude like he like his big thing is like dude we gotta go to the gym go get our tan on you know like <laughs> we we're just doing all this stuff and i mean again he's a good dude and he's super positive like so we just uh, on how the team come together. I had nothing to do with it. Like the JB, Jody, like they all put it together. And I mean, honestly, the bikes they had some like there was some Suzuki help. So Team Suzuki would always come down and like, especially right there, right before I wrecked. Like those two weeks, like they had everything working. Like I mean, they they got it to where I could ride it, which was super cool. I was happy. You know, we were flying mm-hmm. and. Again, that whole year though, like we we went to Florida and which I've never been a I'm Mike said it in the last thing, but I've never been a super trainer. Even 2009, I want to bring it back up. But me and Mike used to go to PAX, like down there in Daytona. Yeah. Like yeah. we would train, you know, so hard. Like, you know, I, that was me out there just jumping the jumps, doing hill clickers. We would leave there, <laughs> go to the Krispy Kreme, get hot donuts, and then we would go to the steak and shake and get a milkshake. And that was like our dinner, like for for our hardcore training. And that's the way I've always been. Like I've never changed that. You know, like 
and it, and it is a thing. Like it's probably the reason I wasn't successful in the pro class, but in my head, I never needed it. Even that year, like felt like I could do whatever I wanted. And obviously I couldn't, but it was just, that's the way I looked at everything. You know, like it was just a good deal to me. See, I think it's a sour subject and obviously it's more of a sour subject for you, but I think it's a sour subject, even like, you know, for, for fans or whatever, because they never got to see you give it a, uh, like a, a like a honest, you know, run, you know, like it was yeah. like, they got, they got gypped of it. And for you, like, it's just, it's like the story was never meant to be that way. It was never meant to go that way. And that's the part that sucks. Oh, dude, the, the broken collarbone again, I would have rather went out there and got smoked and it been real. Yep. Like I would have been okay with that, but it was just the way that it all happened. Like, you know, like I got hurt literally, I think it was six weeks when I broke it the first time, you know, like it snapped it. Like, I still, like, it's all jacked up looking even now. And, you know, didn't wait long enough to even go out there. It re-breaks. I can't even remember if I wrecked. I think I just hit a bump, and the steer, like, the handlebars hit my arm, and it kind of blew it back out again. So, they done surgery. We never gave it time to ever heal. You know, like, we just, we just kept trying to move on. And by four races in, like, they're the old the old Cody was gone like you know it was just I was out there because I had sponsors and I had to be out there but if again I I, I'm not one to quit anything but it's just it was one of those things where it was just depressing like you know like so at that point I just started hanging out with the kids and having fun and doing slip and slides at the races and I could care less about racing I actually dreaded you know for the gate to drop and that's just a bad feeling. And I mean, it was part of the reason like Scott wanted to race the 2011 season. And I was like, dude, there's, you know, there's just no way. Like I, I'm not, I don't want to put you through that. I don't want to put me through that. And so me stepping away in my head was the the best thing that could have happened. It was just, uh, I mean, it, to me, it was a good choice. Like I, I was happy with it. Yeah. Hindsight being 2020 and knowing how everything went down. Um, yeah, obviously, obviously you made the right choice, but that season sucked, man. So that recap of that season, your one season in the pro class, you were obviously hampered by the injuries. You know, you missed, ended up missing two races because of that. You were ended up 15th in points. And the highlight of the season was, you know, two top finishes, two ninths. Um, you know, that, that just like, it, I can't even, can't even call it Cody Gibson. It just, it wasn't that it was a, it was a fraction of yourself. You were seemed to be just riding around and, um, actually, and, and I was never Cody Gibson, obviously I was never at your level. Um, but I, ha- I rode, you know, through most of a season with a broken back with fractured vertebrae in my back. And it was kind of the same way, like where my body wouldn't let my, you know, like myself go as fast as my mind was going, if that makes sense. And uh, that, that makes sense. that's the worst feeling. Like you said, it's yeah. ter- it's terrible. It's torturous. Yeah. And again, like you, you hit it right on the head. Like that was my big thing. Like it was just me, like how we, how me and Mike done the other years, like regardless if people think that I can't, couldn't run pro class or whatever, there is still, that was two totally different riders. Even if I would have just went out there and rode half as good mm-hmm. as I did ever before, like I wouldn't have rode like I did, you know, that year, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like I was beat before every race at that point, you know, there wasn't the old Cody had pretty much left the show. And again, I, 
I had to be there. I wasn't going to let Jody and all those guys down. So mm-hmm. we obviously went out there and jumped the jumps and made it happen. <laughs> but it was it was definitely a depressing year. You know, I, I just feel like, um, you know, obviously the injury aside, but I would have loved to have seen you on that previous, you know, the previous team bikes, whatever, with Mike in your corner. And I would have just wished we could have just plucked you out of the program <laughs> class and just seen how it went. Because I said to Mike on, on the episodes we did with Mike, but it was like inevitable in my mind. Like you were, you were a top five or top three pro racing pro-am. Like that's what it felt like. It was inevitable to me that you were going to be on the podium in the pro class. And uh, it doesn't matter like if you did it or not, because that 2010 season doesn't even count to me. Like you were that guy, whether you did it or not, if that, if that makes sense, if that means anything. Uh, and I appreciate that. And again, like I'll bring it up. Like I appreciate you like making the hype real. Like, I mean, it, Honestly, man. Hey, it's, hey, it's you did it. You yeah. you did it yourself. You did it. Uh, the hype is from you, not me. Uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it for real. Mike, I mean, Mike knows. He's been. A, he said from the very beginning, we're sitting with a legend right now, right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a big fan, man. Yeah, I I agree. Oh, I agree. Sure. So, um, one thing that we did touch on with Mike Cody previous to this was the pressure, um, that you, you know, probably felt during this time. Like we had said that the pressure, at least from, from my perspective and Mike's perspective, it was so big. It was so much that it was almost like it was unachievable. And at that time was like, that's something that you felt like when I say that, is that something that you felt or is that Maybe not – am I blowing it up more than what it actually was? No, and I mean, like, you're – again, I don't want it to sound like I just straight up don't want to talk about it because this is not the case. But mm-hmm. it it never was a thing. Like, it, it never – Good. Up until I had the wreck and broke my collarbone, in my head I was going to do good. Like, okay. that – I had no – like, there was no fear that, like, I was going to go out and be terrible – just because I was already riding with those, all those guys. And I mean, that was a thing about me, like, and it's not a good thing because they talk about all the, you know, the goons going out and racing in practice. But when it come right down to it, Cody always won practice. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I made sure, uh-huh. like, you know, I ain't going to take anybody out in practice, but at the same time, I only have one speed. Right. Like I went as fast as I could all the time. So I just, I knew that it was there. Like the guys that I was riding with seven weeks before were fixing to be racing beside of me. We all have the same transponders. Like, right. so I, I knew where I stood uh, at that point. But once the wreck happened, like I tried to get the mentality back that I was, I still had it. But, and it wasn't that the wreck scared me. It was just like, I knew at that point, there was no way, you know, like even at my best shape, it would have been hard for me to do 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, so once the wreck happened, like I had about three weeks, you know, to get ready for the first race. And I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to win. Like there, it would just, it was, it would be impossible. Even if I went out and just say I did smoke everybody for five laps there, like I would just be getting passed left and right because I wouldn't be able to hang on. Right. Which is a, again, that's a miserable feeling to be sitting on the gate knowing like, I, I can't do this to my fullest ability right now. So you end up, you step away for, for 2011. So you're just a year or two removed from arguably being the most, you know, must watch rider in the sport. Now you're not even at the motocross ATV motocross nationals anymore. How hard was that for you? 
it was tough. Like it was, it was definitely tough. Like, and it, you know, even at home, like we went through some stuff at home. So, okay. It, it, it happened the best that it could. Like, you know, like I got into tower work, which has been turned out to be the best thing that could ever happen to me in my life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's worked out extremely well for me. Right. Yeah. So it, it was, it was definitely a good thing. And it, it was actually, you know, like, Mike said that he called, you know, about the hybrid. That was a thing, but it was also like just randomly one time, like me and Mike hadn't talked much up till this point, like, you know, 2011, I just randomly drive down there one day. Like it was out of nowhere. I walked in there talking to Mike and I was like, you still got the Busa? And he lets me ride his motorcycle all around Florida, you know, for (laughs) a little while. I ain't talked to the guy much in a whole year. And it was just a cool deal. Like it, it all led back into something cool. And so again, I, I'm, I'm happy with how everything went. I think as far as me coming back so strong, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Like I needed, I don't want to say time to heal because my shoulder was good at this point, but as far as me saying in 08 and 09, like, you know, like I was so headstrong. Like I could have, even if somebody would have been bastard me, like I could have went to the gate the next time thinking that I was going to smoke them again. Right. Yeah. And so it, it that was a big thing. And like, I, I think it took that whole year to get back, you know, that mentality. Right. right. Yeah. You needed that getaway. So with Mike, uh, Mike told us, you know, a few episodes ago, um, that bringing you to the track was like, you know, bringing a Lamborghini with you. And, uh, you know, like you drew the attention of everybody around everywhere you guys went. And, you know, you were a legit celebrity, at least in the ATV racing community. And when, so when you all of a sudden are like away from the races and you kind of lose that, like you said, like you kind of, you know, fed off of people going to the fences to watch you race. When you lose that feeling that can be difficult. And that's why, you know, I felt like I needed to ask how hard it was to be away from the races for that period. Uh, It was definitely different. Like being out of the spotlight again, I I wasn't all about, you know, all about Cody ever, but it was definitely different for sure. So you kind of touched on it now, uh, but that's my favorite part of the story. And we heard about that with Mike, you know, on episode 70, uh, the second half of our conversation with Mike Walsh here. And uh, you know, he, he told us um, the story of, of him giving you the call, but what was your reaction to receiving that call from Mikey saying, Hey, I got the CRF hybrid that I want you to ride. Tell me about that. Oh, dude. Like I was fired up. Like it, that was legit. Like, you know, I said the eight season was my favorite and it was, but like that off season, the race season was awesome. But Mm -hmm. that off season, like, you know, we only, we didn't train. I was going to say we trained, but I went down for like two or three weeks and (laughs) Like we, you know, rode that thing around, but I just remember going down there and Mike's got a buddy down there. It's not a, it's not like a public track. It's just some little, like he's got a kid. So they built him a track out back and I hadn't rode anything since Loretta's the year before I jump on that hybrid again, never rode this thing. And it was like a light switch. Like, dude, it was so insane. I was in my head. I was so fast. Like, and I was like, this feels perfectly normal. Like this bike feels so light. It feels so fast. And it was, that was the big thing with the hybrid. Like the, the, I guess the nimbleness of that thing was a game changer. Like, you know, that year we had the Suzuki working, but it was like two riding two totally different animals. Like, you know, if you told me that I was going to have to go jump a 300 foot jump or something, 
I'd be like, dude, kick the hybrid out. Like, you know, like, I mean, really, that's the way it was. I was so confident in that machine. It was insane. And like Mike didn't talk about it, but that year, like I actually, I don't know if it was the same weekend I came down or if I went back home or what, but he, I don't know if he talked me into it or I talked him into it, but we ended up going and racing an SSQSA race and Rostrelli was there and yeah. Matt was there. And dude, it was insane. Like that was the funniest race. I ended up winning the main race, like the main one, which I shouldn't have won because it was 10 laps and I couldn't <laughs> hold on after the first one. Like I was so tired, but dude, I ripped this. There's a video of it on YouTube, but dude, I ripped this start. Like this hybrid wheelies all the way down the straightaway. Like it looks like it don't even look real. Like, you know, the tires are six inches off the ground and it rides it completely to the curve. So I'm literally for a quarter of a lap, I pull a 10 second lead. And this is 10 seconds into the race. Like I am straight fixing to smoke everybody. Wipe clean out. I jump straight over the berm, fall off the bike. You know, and it was just insane. And, like, again, like, I feel like right then everybody knew, like, it, this dude is on another level. Like, you know, like he's fixing to, he's fixing to be good again. And we ended up, like, it, Mike, I can see him laughing, but <laughs> there was two two-lap motos. That's what it was. Okay. So I line up for the second one, do the exact same thing, rip the start, wipe out a half a lap in. Like, so either race didn't even make it a lap and then ended up signing up for the 10 lap race, which was not smart on my, on my account, but ended up winning it somehow. Like I remember pulling a lead, like the first two laps. And after that, I literally could not hold on anymore. I was sitting down over every jump and I remember Australia cause they were all out of shape too, but they caught me like the fourth or fifth lap. And they tried so hard to pass me, they all got tired. So, like, <laughs> it, it was just a cool deal. And then after that, it, it led on to something really good. Like, I got to race with Weenan at a bunch of those races. And yep, yep. It was definitely a cool deal. Insurance. It's not something everyone likes to talk about. But let's face it. If you race motocross, it's something you should have. Integrative Financial Concepts is an independent financial service and insurance firm who offers moto-friendly insurance and helps out riders like Nick Janusa, Jeffrey Rastrelli, and Joel Hetrick gain confidence on the track. With their unique safe-to-race and safe-to-ride programs, if you qualify, they have the ability to offer life insurance with living benefits to those who ride. With these living benefits, you may have the ability to access a portion of your life insurance policy while you're still living for things like cancer, heart attack, stroke, or chronic illness. They can also help with many other things, such as home, auto, motorhome, and trailer insurance, as well as college planning, special needs planning, payroll processing, as well as group health benefits for your business. So whether something happens on or off the track, Integrated Financial Concepts has you covered. With their complimentary one-on-one -on -one appointments, what are you waiting for? Reach out to Mike Daniele at D-A-N-I-E-L-E -E underscore Michael at nlgroupmail.com today and see how Integrated Financial Concepts can help you. Living benefit riders are supplemental benefits that can be added to a life insurance policy and are not suitable unless you have the need for life insurance. Riders are optional and may require additional premium and may not be available in all states or on all products. This is not a solicitation for any specific insurance policy. Just like the sport of ATV motocross as a whole, our Digging Deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share. Our sport is compiled of many great people and leaving that charge is the Launderville family at Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. 
This racing-owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire United States. Launderville Steel is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for ATVs and UTVs, off-road truck racing, late model dirt and pro tractor pulling series, drag racing, and more. Launderville Steel loves their racing just as much as we do, but don't forget about their concrete division as well. With over 25 years of experience, the concrete division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. Their central Midwest location enables LSE to easily serve customers across the United States. For a quote, additional info, answers to more of your questions, or to talk a little racing, head over to LaundervilleSteel.com or give them a call today. We are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. Here at Digging Deep, we have an obvious passion for ATVs and pridefully enjoy sharing the sport's history. Since 2019, when the podcast was born, we've been working to partner with individuals who share our passion, but one man and his vision had been missing from our partnership group until now. When it comes to the sport's history, the hallowed grounds of Binky's Forever ATC Museum has it all. Binky Tapscott's mind-blowing collection of three- and four-wheelers has preserved history by spanning all makes and models from Honda three-wheelers in chronological order to unique builds that shaped ATV racing as we know it, like Doug Gust's iconic DRZ-powered hybrid thumper and everything in between. There's no denying Binky's passion, a passion that we certainly relate to here at Digging Deep. Binky's goal is to share his amazing collection with fellow enthusiasts by making his prized possessions accessible to the public via scheduled visits. Follow Forever ATC Museum on Facebook and watch foreveratc.com for further updates on possibly getting a chance to see Binky's Forever ATC Museum for yourself. We are proud to welcome Binky's Forever ATC Museum to the Digging Deep family. Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. The best power sports coolant on the market, Evans prevents overheating and boil over so you need not worry about harming your engine or suffering a premature end to your ride no matter what the conditions. Designed for use in ATVs, UTVs, motorcycles, and other power sports equipment, when conditions are at their worst, Evans is at its best. Upgrade to Evans now to avoid overheating and boil over next time you hit the track or trail. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 at checkout to save at evanscoolant.com. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. He was back. Cody Gibson was back. What do you remember about that, Mike, that time period there? That had to be uh, had to be like getting the band back together. It was really great. Uh, you know, great friendships and uh, even business, you know, you know, people that you really felt you could trust and love and you uh, got to – I check your dreams with, you know, so that's so cool. Um, and also we got to see Cody's real speed on that hybrid. And, 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 you know, to be honest, the Suzuki worked better, but it, you know, that was when I just started getting released and mm-hmm. there was testing and this and that. And, but Cody was super fast on it. And Cody, Cody, uh, Cody, would 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 whole shot and Chad was putting his program with together with legendary, you know, with with, with Ryan Cox, who's a, a legend himself, and uh, all, yeah. all these big guys, and he was getting his Yamaha program together right here at the shop. So it was a great test bed for 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 us and for Cody, kind of get Mojo back, kind to get his faith in the bike going, and, and kind of just see where we were. And honestly, you know, for 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 two laps, I mean. You know, Cody, I mean, Chad had 
on that Yamaha, you know, uh, and he was going. So, um, black, you know, other than training, I mean, he was right there with chat, you know, mm-hmm. that was real fun because we're all friends and, and it was real fun because, you know, we knew what our objective was, our objective was to go out and have a blast and, 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 um, and race pro-am, you know, and we knew what it was, his, his objective was to win the pro championship. So we both, had, uh, uh, we both had separate agendas. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it was a really bonding experience. And me and Chad were doing a lot of Chad and Ryan, we were doing a, a lot of bonding. And Cody were back. Cody was back with Walsh. And, it, you know, we knew what those results were. Be. We knew that, it was a perfect combination put Cody on that hybrid. I mean, um, it was, it was right. It, you know, I talked about that before. It was, it was, it was perfect. And, you know, so you can't make this stuff up, you know, people could try, you know, for years, you know, chase goals down or build, build situations, but sometimes stuff just comes together. And that was one of those times. Yeah, that was uh, that was even to this day. Those photos are epic from that preseason, you know, with Cody, uh, you know, on the on the hybrid and the the first photos of Chad on his new Yamaha and Jeffrey and Mark Maddle, um, you know, those guys were there. So it made for some some incredible local racing, I'm sure. So Cody, I think you 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 said this, but was was that like would have that have been the first time you rode a quad in like a year? Is that really what happened? No, I had rode, like I went down and rode one day before we went to the SSQSA race. We rode at that little local track. Right. But, but, but you hadn't, you had like basically taken all of 2011 completely off. Like you weren't riding anywhere at all. Yeah, I haven't owned a four wheeler since 2007, (laughs) like 2008. Like, so everything that I rode was Mox and sure. Yeah. but no, like we, we never rode. And again, when we went back, in my opinion, it was like, I, I felt like, especially when, like Mike said, the hybrid was awesome. We didn't really like, as far as specifically for me, we didn't have to really change a whole lot. Like, you know, me and Mike were both racing it on the same shocks and he weighed, you know, 50 pounds more than me. And it, it was just a, it was a cool deal. Like that was by far, like even that preseason again, it, it was, it was fun. Like that, that was probably one of my funnest times racing. Yeah, I'm sure. So I had joked with Mike, uh, when we talked on the previous episodes that my title hopes Cody were dashed, you know, back in November, <laughs> November, December, you know, when we heard that you were going to return. So, so 2012 was my first full race, uh, for full season back at the nationals. It was my first full season on a big quad at the nationals. And I had people in my corner who are very reputable people to this day, still around ATV racing saying, you know, I get the talking to me, I get the starts, you get the starts that are needed, you know, beat a guy like Cody Gibson, you're fit. You know, I think, you know, you're the kind of guy that could take them down. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, Cody, I think my biggest mistake was that I truly didn't even believe that myself. I'm cut, I'm cut, <laughs> from, cut from a different cloth than you are. Um, but I came out at the opener. So I came out at the opener 
and I was fast qualifier at, in, at, uh, Aonia in, in pro-am production. And I'm like, holy shit. And I could tell like, you had a problem. You were like 10th or 12th or something. So I knew, knew there was an issue, but you know, I got my hopes up. My hopes were up for a very short period of time. And then after that, you were in the league of your own for the rest of the season. Uh, but I still believe to this day, um, that I've never seen anyone, on the national scene dominate, like you dominated those pro-am classes that season. It was, it was prolific. And I don't know, like for people that weren't around then, I don't even know how to put it into words, how dominant you were. You wrecked all of us. You wrecked everybody. It was incredible, incredible to see. Like, honestly, I got my ass kicked and I still feel like I was a part of history. That's how prolific it was. No, again, that, that's awesome. And I loved, like, all y'all. Like, I, I can actually remember, like, I'll come back to the 2012 season, but I, I can remember when you came, like, just so you know. Like, I, I don't remember which race it was, if it was 07, 08, 09. I had to have been 08 or 09. But I, mm-hmm. I just remember, like, your name coming to a national at some point. Sure. And, then, again, it may have been the start of 2012. I, I just remember – like you had hot behind you as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's like, you know, dude's coming. Like you got to make sure, you know, cause that was everybody's thing. They come in there, you know, you got to right. beat this guy. You've got to beat this guy. But to get back to the 2012 season, like, like Mike said earlier, that Suzuki that we were riding, the hybrid was awesome. Like 100% awesome. And I loved riding it, mm-hmm. but that Suzuki, it was the first time that I had ever like in my racing career, like, like it was working so good that I felt like I was going slow, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. it was like that if, it, if Mike could have put a 95-horsepower motor on it, like, I could have rode it that fast. Like, yeah. and that's, like, it was just a game changer. Like, it again, I never would say that. But, like, in my head, if we ever would have went pro and ran that, mm-hmm. like – there would be no excuse for me not to do good. You know, obviously I can't say I would go out there and smoke those guys because that's unrealistic. Those guys are unreal. They're they're more fit than I ever would be. You know, for two laps, I will say that I'd probably smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I'm just kidding. But, but for real, though, like I feel like if me and Mike would have signed up, you know, the 2013 season, yeah. And, you know, it would have been a lot different, but at the same time, because of how I went out, I feel like it was the best thing that could have ever happened. You know, like mm-hmm. Cody Gibson's this big, huge thing, but at the same time, really I wasn't, you know, pro-am is awesome. And like, those guys are unreal, but at the end of the day, I didn't do that much. I just wrecked all the time. And, you know, <laughs> I put on a good show. Like I, that was all that it was. And, it's turned into this thing that hopefully the rest of my life, you know, I can look back on and be like, you know, I at least made a dent. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, people are going to, at least our people are going to remember me for that. So, I mean, it's a cool deal. So, so you could remember it uh, as people coming to watch you wreck or whatever. I think Mike and I both know better. So that season alone, you had 18 overall victories, 37 moto wins and the two pro-am national championships. Um, that had to be the time of your life. And, and we talked about this with Mike. He talked about how much fun you guys had. There was no pressure, no matter like the combination of you two guys, it was just a ball. Uh, but when, when people think back on like the glory days, um, that had to be the glory days for you beating up on all of us. 
No, man, it definitely was awesome. And and everybody was awesome. Like that, that was the best part about it. You know, at the first part of that year, people again, hating a little bit. And I don't like that, you know, like some people, the whole sandbagging thing come out and like, and I get it, you know, I understood where they were coming from, but at the same time, you know, it was our ride. Like that's what I had. Like, and I loved it. You know, it, it was a good deal for me to get to come out and race. And I'm sure everybody knew, but I worked a full-time job mm-hmm. that whole year. Like, you know, I, like I said, I went to, down to Florida right before race season for about two weeks, I think, something like that. And then every weekend, Mike would actually pick me up at the exit at my house. Like, so he would roll in in the big rig sure. and I would just load up. We would drive to the race, like, hopefully take care of business and then we would roll back. I'd be back at work on Monday. And like, you know, that, that was tough for one, but at the same time we had an absolute blast. Like again, you know, go back to what I said before, like I knew when I was climbing off the tower, you know, on Thursday that I was fixing to go smoke everybody like in a nice way, but it was just a good feeling. Like, you know, like we knew that we were going to win, like as long as nothing happened and it, it, it just a, it's a game changer. Like, you know, it's all a mindset thing. I don't ever want to portray myself as this cocky dude because I never was, but it's real. Like, I feel like if anybody, if I could ever give anybody, you know, any tips or tricks, like that was always my thing. Like, I think that I had everybody beat after the first race. Like, you know, after the very first race, like I think a pecking order is real. Like, yeah. I think people kind of know where they fall out. And I feel like that was always our thing. Like, you know, we would go in the first race and make sure everybody knew who was going to be in the front and then just try to stick with it all year. Well, you'd you'd have everybody bet, you know, beat mentally and then you'd beat everybody so bad at the first race that, yeah, like everybody knew their place. And, and I think that the sandbagging thing, like that might've been a thing at the time, but Mike did say on the last episode um, or the, the last episodes we did with Mike that it was, it was his call. Like he wanted to have you in the pro-am class. Like that was something that he wanted to do and showcase the hybrid and stuff. So, um, right. Mike, like that wasn't, that wasn't on Cody. He's not the one that said, Hey, I just want to race pro-am. No, that was, that was all our deal. Said, I mean, Cody's working a full-time job. I would pick him up, you know, at, uh, it wasn't super stressful, you know? Yeah. It was working a job and stuff, but you know, you, you, you didn't have, you weren't struggling to, you know no, what I mean? No, no. There and you did your best and hopefully, it would, you know, and hopefully we didn't have a lot of good times doing it. And that happened a lot that season. Yeah. So I finished on the podium a number of times. And ironically, I only finished on the podium in third once every other time I finished second, which means I would have had a lot of race wins if Cody Gibson wasn't there. (laughs) But, uh, but for the record, I was not one of the guys, we were not one of the people saying that you were sandbagging. That was not the case. I felt like we were like, it was making us that much better. And we were seeing history right in front of us. So I remember at Bud's Creek, I had an electrical problem in the heat race and, uh, and I had to go to the LCQ. And so I'm thinking like, at least I'm going to get, you know, a moto win here, even if it's in the LCQ. Cause I, I think only up until that point, there was only one time where Cody and I, where you and I, Cody weren't in the same heat race. Cause there was, there'd be like multiple heat races or whatever. I remember winning a heat race at, uh, at, um, 
at Muddy Creek. But anyways, so I'm like, man, I'll, I'll win this LCQ and that'll be a good feeling. At least I'll win a moto, you know? Nope. You had a problem in the first moto too. So there, there, there are you and I, there are you and I one and two in the LCQ. Like, what do I got to do to get away from this guy? Um, but the, the one thing I will say, so there was obviously no debate. You dominated that year. It was nearly a perfect season for you, but Casey Martin was clearly the number two guy. He was, uh, he was fast that year as well. So I don't want to, don't want to, uh, cap that year without mentioning him. Cause he was ripping that year as well. Nah, dude, he, he's definitely the man and he's a good dude. He's like, awesome I, dude. I still like, it ain't very often, but I still talk to Casey. Sure. Here and there. Like he, he's definitely super good guy. And like there was one race he actually caught me and passed me. Like so I think he was the only person to do that that year. And <laughs> that was a cool deal. You know, I was glad for him. Like it was one of those things like where if I couldn't pull a big enough lead the first couple laps, like it was bound to happen. And he definitely he done exactly what he needed to do. And like Again, I like that. You know, we, we gave it our all. We ended up – I think we won the overall that day, pretty sure. But it was still – it was cool to see him be able to win that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that must have been Red Bud. Um, but we uh, – so we talked with Mike during the, the shows last month. But in my mind, you know, you were, uh, you were a top five pro racing pro-am, and I kind of touched on that already. So I had no doubt. Uh, if you rode like that, that you were con- going to contend, you know, for podiums in the pro class, like I said, if we could have just plucked you out of there and put you in the pro class, I would have loved to see how that was going to go down. Um, but we know Mike put a program together for that next season for 2013, but ultimately it was your job that kept you away from coming back. Right. Yeah. And it, again, it just, it worked out that way. Like, you know, I just kind of, I got to a point where I just felt like that at that point, like I had done what I needed to do. You know, I didn't want to just straight up pull out of racing, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's just what I seemed to be best for me and, you know, my family at the time. And like I had been, you know, it it was just, again, it was a good deal. Like I actually wanted to touch on one thing. Go ahead. Like you was talking about the, uh, the pro class five, like the pro class, you know, top five guy and yeah. racing pro am big Mike, Mike's dad, like he never cut me any slack. Like this dude, like he he was the one dude that I could guarantee he was gonna <laughs> tell me the truth. Okay. So anyway, we were out there one time and you know, like that year, and it was one of the races that I went out, and I mean absolutely like I, I did really good. Like, okay. you know, probably won by 20 or 30 seconds. I can always remember like going back and, you know, like for some reason I went back to Florida this time. It was maybe after the first race, second race. I was telling big Mike that. And like, he, without like cracking a joke, anything, he literally looked at me and he said, you know, that's about right. You moved back from the pro class. And I was like, dude, <laughs> this freaking dude is so mean. Like, you know, I'm out here trying to tell him how good I did. Yeah. Let me he, have he this. Never, let me have yeah. this moment. Yeah. Yeah, dude, like, let me have it. But no, like, it was funny. But he always gave me a lot of good compliments. He always, like, he said a lot of these guys, you know, ride like robots. And that that was always something I took pride in, Mike, Big Mike. Yeah. He'd be like, he would always talk about how I backed it into the corners, you know, like I was always coming, sliding every which way. And that was always his big thing. And, like, 
Again, I ain't talked to Mike Walsh a whole lot, but definitely miss Big Mike. He was a good dude. Yeah, no, no, okay. Big Mike was definitely a huge Gibson fan. <laughs> now he, he had the whole world, our, our whole world, you know, mm-hmm. motor, there's not many that weren't Gibson fans, but exactly. Oh, like, really enjoyed Ray Cody. And that was just who dad was. I mean, he didn't cut me no slack, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So, so Cody, uh, did you ever like imagine what if, you know, that next season, were you watching the results, uh, that, you know, Nick DeNoble was putting in and thinking, you know, what that could have been me or what could have been, is that ever anything that crossed your mind or, or not really? Well, I mean, absolutely. Like, obviously I would have loved to at least go out and, you know, you know, at least try it one time with Mike. I mean, yeah, me and him, obviously, like we know he knows how to build a race program. And like, I was always so confident, like it was kind of, you know, a no brainer, like in theory, like we could have done really well, but you never know. Like I could have went out there and got smoked just like I did in 2010. Like, and you know, that's a thing, like, you know, you never know, but in my head, I would have done extremely well. Like I, I, I definitely know the speed was there, but at the end of the day, like, you know, at this point, you know, even after a year after like, I knew that I wasn't coming back. I knew that, you know, I've settled into what I was going to do. But I, I still, again, I follow it, and I, I want it to do good. I want everybody that's in it to do well. But, no. So, so, so did you miss it? Because, I, I, you know, the track seemed like your happy place for, you know, especially, like, when you were back. It was like you had so much fun. It was so – the track even embraced you. Like, it was so great to have you back at the races. It just felt right. I have to believe you missed it at least somewhat. Oh man, I missed it so much. Like it, it was insane going from, you know, even though I wasn't training, like, you know, I wasn't training a whole lot, but mm-hmm. it was still crazy to go from that level. And again, I was only good that whole 2012 season for two laps. Like after that, like I, I had to pull some kind of crazy lead, but at the that, same that's, time, that, like, that, that's not the way I remember it, but whatever. <laughs> no, I'm with you, but like, really that it, it was different. Like going from, you know, that level of just competitiveness to, you know, again, when 2014, I think, when I, the Razor 1000 come out and I bought one of those and, you know, I started racing those there for a little while in the hill climbing events. But okay. it's not the same, you know, like it's it's definitely not the same level. And I like I miss it. I miss all the people that I, you know, met doing it. And, yeah. you know, it was just different, like. We were different, definitely like, you know, at the end of it, I felt like we were a different caliber and it, it was cool walking through the pits, the kids being happy and, you know, getting to talk to everybody, you know, obviously that was my thing, but. Right. Yeah. You were a, you were a superstar, man. And, you know, as much as I wish uh, I would have, you know, not had to compete against you, you know, that year or had, had an opportunity to compete for more wins. Um, I'm glad that you had the chance to enjoy the races again before you walked away because that was taken from you, you know, with the way that 2010 went down and, you know, that pressure from earlier in your career and all that stuff, uh, the injury, all that stuff, like all the, the bad that racing became in 2010 to get 2012. I'm glad that you got that because 2012 was just, was different. It was different than all that. And for you to go out on that kind of note, man, um, it, that part, like 2010 
wasn't the way the story was supposed to go, but 2012 and the way it ended just seemed right. If that makes sense. Oh, you nailed it, man. Like I, and again, that's, that's what I was getting at before. That's one thing that I definitely, like, I, I would not want to change it. Like, you know, it's cool telling the story now, but it's, it, it was just cool. You know, everybody's like, where did he go? You know, like he won everything, but at the end of the day, you know, like it was just, we won pro-am again and it is cool. I mean, like it, it, I, I don't know how anybody like, that would be a tough task, and they would have to have somebody like Mike in their corner. But to win that many races in one year, like, dude, it's insane, especially with me riding, like, you know, me the one driving. Like, <laughs> like I have no idea how that thing, you know, I didn't blow it up. Or, like, Mike can build a mean engine, everything else. Like, that thing always – yeah, like, Credit it was always Mike. there. Like, it was taking whatever I could give it, and it was happy about it. Like, we really – I don't know if Mike changed the oil in a hybrid very many times. That thing was just raring to go. It needed some 93, and we were hitting the track. Uh, so I remember hearing rumors like a year or two after that, um, after that prolific 2012 season about a potential comeback. Did anything like that actually almost happen, or was that just just rumors people were making well, up? I was just, that was just rumors. I figured like, so. Yeah, I figured so. Well, it was important to me, Cody, uh, to get you on here because not that many people make enough of an impact for their legacies to live on for years and years. Yet here we are 10 years later, 10 years after that incredible 2012 season, and people still talk about it to this day. People still reference your dominance to this day, your natural ability, the crazy amount of natural ability that you had. And that is special. That is what makes you a legend, my friend, is everything that you did still living on to this day. And I know you've been worried this whole time about people not wanting to take you out of context, not wanting, you know, to think you're cocky or anything like that, but you can listen to the, to your voice. You can listen to your voice inflection and your tone of voice, and you're not being cocky. You're just telling, telling us how you truly felt and how you thought at that time was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to win. Um, but I just want you to know that your legacy lives on to this day and there will never be another Cody Gibson and to sit here and tell this story and hear about, you know, all the awesome times you had and the crazy stuff you did. And like you just said, the records that man may never be broken. And those, you know, those top tier classes like that, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Like I said, still to this day, I feel like I was a part of history and I was just on the track with you and, and nothing more than that. Well, no joke, man. Like, you gave me goosebumps saying all that. Like, I, I really – like, I'm not just saying it. I appreciate it. Like, I'm super humble, but, at, like, at the same time, it's good. Like, it's good to hear that. And, you know, obviously I couldn't have done it without my mom and dad. And I just want Mike to know, like, you know, like I, people have heard me thank him at every national that I've ever been to. But, you know, in my head, it would have never happened without Mike in the corner. Like, you know, like it – Again, I knew how to ride, but at the same time, I tore up everything. It just – it never – none of this would ever happen, and it, it is cool. Like, you know, like as much as I don't want people to talk about me, it's still cool, you know, to hear the good things. You know, like now we do tower work every day, so it's just – you know, it's it's not Cody Gibson jumping the big triple. It's like Cody Gibson's not getting all these towers fixed as fast as he needs to. So, like, it's, it's definitely – it's a cool deal. Like, it's cool to hear and – I really, again, I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate 
all the people commenting on your pictures. Like, dude, that's a game changer. Like, I hate to be a creep, but at the same time, dude, like I go in there and all these people is like, dude, there's dudes on legends. I'm like, <laughs> who is this guy? Like, I like you. Like, start commenting on my pictures. Like, I post them all the time. Hey, there's, there's the, the, the coolest thing is that you have people telling their own stories in the, know, in the comments of the pictures. That's so awesome. And like I said, the legend lives on and Mike will go to bat for me. Mike will, Mike will, you know, take my side on this. The, the legend lives on, doesn't it, Mike? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Every, all the time. And hey, it's Cody Gibson, man. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I want to comment thing. you know, you remember when, you remember when Jeremy Warnier came to the to um that Pennsylvania race? Yes, <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Oh, wow, man. Dude. Really good. Uh, but there's a Cody coming out of the back. Um, you remember that? You're coming oh. out of the bike is completely sideways. <laughs> yeah, I remember. White with the Gibson construction. Yeah. That's, that's a legendary that that if you take Cody Gibson and turn him into a if you could take his career and turn him and turn it into a pick that's the one no and that's honestly like that's what I always took pride in like you hit it right on the head but that that was the big thing like, there's a ton of pictures like I, I hate to ramble on but no. I, like I see so many pictures where like I'm coming out of a turn, the bike is sitting on like one back tire and my feet are not on the pegs. Like, you know, I'm somehow setting down, but it's just wide open. Like, and I'm like, how in the world did I ride that thing? Like, you know, like, cause now I'm getting old. So it's like, I, I literally, and you know, like it, whenever you're in the moment, you don't feel any of that. So right, yeah, know, it, it's always cool. And like Mike said, that picture that he's talking about is probably one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite pictures. And back in 08, that was a thing. Like I never knew, you know, coming off a jump, I didn't know if I was flipping frontwards, backwards, but <laughs> you know, I never cared at the same time, as long as we were going. I remember that Jeremy Warnia guy, I hate to bring up old stuff, but dude, that dude was like ride setting down like the whole entire time. And he was so freaking fast. I was like, dude, this guy is unreal. And, but anyway. Yeah. He had a, he had a style of his own, just like you have a style of your own. Uh, so Cody, do you follow current racing at all? Like, did you, have you followed it? Um, you know, throughout the 10 years of you being away, have you followed it at all? I have, like, I watch all of Joel's stuff, you know, like it's mm -hmm. crazy. Like me and Joel, you know, we were really good friends. Like I pretty much lived with him the, Anytime the races started, and instead of staying with Mike, like Mike would always just like pretty much have me stay in up north because that's where all the races were. So, mm -hmm. like, I always stayed with Joel. So, obviously, like, I follow him. I want him to do good. I mean, yeah. I like women too, but we never had the friendship sure. me and Joel had. So, you know, like, we're out. I'm always kind of cheering him on, wanting to see him win races and championships. And Right. So, in my mind, you know, you and, jo <laughs> you and Joel are so similar. I've always wondered to myself, like, if you ever find yourself daydreaming about, you know, if you would have stuck with it, you know, and you and Joel battling, like, still to this day at the front of the pro class all these years later, like, that's even something I've thought about because I just think of you guys as, like, like he was a younger Cody Gibson, you know, like, that's how I've always thought of it. So, I uh, wondered if you thought of it that way, too. No, for sure. He's definitely the man. Like I always enjoyed watching him ride, especially when I stepped out. Like I, 
I enjoyed seeing him do well, and hopefully, he you know, he continues to do well. Like, there's actually a few of those guys in the front. Like, I, I'd like to see do good in this upcoming year. Like, and I do follow it. I mean, not like I used to, but mm-hmm. for sure, after every, you know, pro class race, like, I'm on the live timing. Like, I'm getting on there just, <laughs> just to see, you know, see who's winning. Yeah, you can never you can never shake that when those once you've been bitten by the bug, you're always bitten by the bug. But uh man, the the legend lives on and it will now more than ever after your uh, appearance here on the Digging Deep ATBMX podcast. I can't thank you enough for doing this, buddy. I'm so proud to uh tell your story. Um have you tell your story right here on the show. I'm so pumped to bring Cody Gibson to our listeners. Man, this is uh this has been epic. So I I truly can't thank you enough. It's been an honor. And like I said, there will never be another and the legacy lives on. No, man, I appreciate you. Like I said, like, I appreciate you and Mike for getting on there doing this. Like it's, it's definitely, it's going to keep me fired up for a couple of weeks. Anyway, it's been an exciting few hours. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I feel like I needed to be pinched. Like I, I still didn't believe it was going to happen until we were sitting here, you know? Um, so the last thing I have is, uh, if either of you have any parting stories that come to mind that we haven't told yet. Um, so Mike, I'll, I'll start with you. Do you have any other stories that, that we haven't touched on that we need to get out into, uh, the podcast universe before we get out of here? I could go on all night long. Um, definitely, you know, here's the reality of it if you really want to get you know we all have a we all burn a flame you know cody's flame burned brighter than most um he didn't he didn't have a a long career but he had most epic career Mm -hmm. and uh you know i i had a time limit on my career oh i said i knew when i had to get out he knew when he had to get out and you know he's got a lot of stuff he's doing right now and i'm sure he's doing a lot of good and touching a lot of people same he touched the people on the track he's touching people daily because that's just who cody gibson is and mm-hmm. i'm glad i was a part i could be a part of this and, and part of his career is one of the it's it's my career too um as far as is my story my 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 time with cody is is one of the most special times uh with me and there won't be another gibson. there's no. there there's so I'm glad I was a part of it. Yeah, me too. Cody, you got uh, got any last any last little story, tidbits, anything you want to leave us with before we get out of here? No, I, I think that Mike <laughs> hit it right on the head. I definitely, you know, just want to thank everybody. Like, I, I mean, as far as the stories, like, we definitely could go on all day. Like, my wrecks, I guess, were the biggest thing that – like I enjoyed through my career. Like, you know, we always, we always had a good time. And again, I, I just want to thank, you know, my mom, my dad, like it's a, they, as far as supporting me, those guys on another level and Mike and his whole family, you know, Nate, his mom, like, you know, and I still like, we all follow each other on Instagram and stuff. So, oh, yeah, yep. you know, I still see them, but uh, it was just a, you know, it's, racing in general you know it it, to me it changed my life and I think they were a big part of it like I think it made it made me who I am not saying I'm super successful but at the same time I feel like it put me in a position where I can do whatever I want to do like you know like I as far as if it's make money you know help people you know make people happy like I think racing was a big part of that I think the confidence just 
everything from it. Like I, I felt exactly. like that was a big deal. Exactly. I think we touched on that with so many people that you you find yourself, you know, not only does it give you a platform for people to look up to you, people, uh, it kind of gives you a platform to learn how you can impact other people. It also, like you said, gives you the confidence. It helps you find yourself. You know, you're Cody Gibson as a racer is a decisive, you know, going to go get it, going to achieve the goals, going to, you know, do whatever to make it happen. And that bleeds over in the whole rest of your life. So, um, so, so, so you're exactly right. But like we've, like we've been saying, there will never be another Cody Gibson that I can say with confidence, Cody, I can't thank you enough, buddy, for doing this. This was uh, well worth the wait. And it's been such an honor having you. I can't thank you enough, pal. You guys are awesome. And Mike, uh, this has to have brought so many great memories back. So many memories for you too. Thanks for being here and helping me host this thing. We love having you. Thanks so much for being here, Mike. Proud to be a part of it. With that, that's a wrap. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thank y'all. Man, what a freaking blast that was. My face still hurts from all the smiles and laughs in that one. Cody Gibson Fever is back 10 years later. What an awesome guy with a spectacular story. There will never be another Cody Gibson, and the legend lives on. I have to thank Manscaped for bringing you Cody Gibson tonight. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Thanks to Rocky Mountain ATVMC for bringing you our special guest, Mike Walsh. And speaking of those guests, major thanks to tonight's featured guest, Cody Gibson, for sitting down with us. And thanks as well, again, to Mike Walsh for sitting in on this conversation. You guys rock. Thanks to producer Dallas Jansen, my brother, for all his hard work. Thanks to Brooke and AMA official Harv Whipple. Thanks to our donors. You know who you are. We appreciate you so much. Thanks to all of our partners, CST Tires, shop.csttires.com. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Impact Solutions, Binky's Forever ATC Museum, Lunderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, the financial advice of the Haymower Financial Group, Four Works Carbon, DP Brakes, Factory 43, Integrated Financial Concepts and their Safe to Race and Safe to Ride Insurance Programs, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support the brands that support our show, and don't forget to use those codes to save. Find it all on our website, and be sure to click those Rocky Mountain ATVMC and Amazon banners for all your gear and parts needs, everyday needs, and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Our show merchandise, including Digging Deep shirts and hoodies, our Quad Guys Get Hot Chicks shirts and hoodies, back-to-back national champ merch, and more, all available today at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com. If you're looking for another easy way to help support us, visit our website and click the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee buttons. This allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to support our efforts. Keep sending in your questions, stories, and topics to be featured on an upcoming episode, and don't hesitate to call those in to our voicemail line so we can play them on the show. That number is 920-569-3519. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content, coverage, and more fun stuff as the 2022 season inches closer and closer. As for the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links, and discount codes, our show merchandise, fantasy info, and more can all be found on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out today. 
be a friend, tell a friend. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And with that, for Cody Gibson, Mike Walsh, Brooke Catherine, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen, thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV racing, 3 million plus downloads and counting. Until next time, thanks for joining us in Digging Deep with the Stars of ATV Motocross. Things are crashing and burning here at the Digging Deep Podcast, much like the Titanic. Those guys were hauling ass, for real. I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. Quadlers are freaking gnarly.